Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Spooky Stacks. This is the Crypt Keeper Jay here with my uh, assistant, Sushanverson. <laughs> I am Shanna, but my name is spelled with the number seven somehow. I won't tell you where. It's in there, though. I mean, the V is a weird choice for a seven. I, I don't. It's. Uh, I, let, let's let's start with that honestly so we're, we're okay. doing seven david fincher's seven uh from 19 or seven uh, as i've often called it uh which has a seven in the middle uh and why <laughs> uh because you know otherwise people would be getting it confused with the other movie called seven that we reviewed uh quite some time ago well, with it, all the assassins of that the, the very well-known movie by Andy Sedaris. Very uh, well-known. It, it's, I, I mean, I guess the, the big thing is it's sort of meant to sort of resemble a cipher. So it's like the Zodiac. Uh, and, and this is heavily inspired by the Zodiac murders, obviously. Yeah, it, it is. But a cipher isn't really used in the actual killings of the movie. No, not in the slightest. But it's meant to be evocative of it, I feel. I suppose. I'm looking at it right now, and the more when I first saw it, I was just like, "Oh, seven. And then I just see that the more I look at it, the more we oh, my cat has found a thing to scratch. The more weird, the less I can see it as an actual word, the more I look at it. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. The V is a really weird choice because it doesn't really naturally resemble a V because it's it's like in the wrong place. Well, if you turn the V kind of on its side, and if you like pinch the angle a little bit, kind of maybe, sorta. Yeah. I mean, so, no, but <laughs> no, no. I mean, really, the answer is no. It doesn't really look like that, and that, that's, I guess, why I, it does feel. For one thing, I back in the day, people didn't actually officially ever have it with the seven in it. I, I think that's become a more modern obsession of uh, people who are overly obsessed with really finicky details and who have decided that whatever happens to appear on the title screen of a movie is definitely the official title even if it's ridiculously stylized or has a gigantic stupid subtitle that isn't actually used anywhere else bruce campbell versus the army of darkness i mean obviously that's the real title of the movie you get people who are very uh uh, uptight about that kind of thing and i feel like that's sort of how sesevenin has come around because it still was a thing back then but it's so much more of a thing like before it was just called seven and i rarely saw it with the seven in the middle well yeah when i used to watch this because it turned out i only ever saw the tv edit when it was on mm. like afternoon television which this is not an afternoon tv show but that's where it was well uh, it was called seven like it's it's also just such a ubiquitous film. Like this is a, one of the most watched movies we've covered at this point. I think so. Yeah. Um, true detective would not exist without this movie. No, this movie is true detective. True detective like is based on this movie. Like I, I would not be surprised to learn that someone wrote a script for seven, the TV series, and then just, they couldn't get the rights. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I could see that. I mean, you got your you got your two detectives who uh, come at everything from different angles, uh, but they butt heads, 
and the wife uh, goes to the detective the partner for. Well, it's not that well developed in the movie. No, but, but like the dynamic between the three is oddly similar. It's almost identical. Yeah. As a, our our main characters, first up, we've got Morgan Freeman, of course, as Somerset. And uh, Brad Pitt as... Detective oh, Mills. It? Mills. I was going to say Bills? Oh, shit. Mills. Mills, uh, yeah. Uh, Mills and Somerset, they do get their uh, first names mentioned late, late in the movie, but they're just Somerset and Mills. It's It's really only... Gwyneth Paltrow, who refers to them by uh, first names. Gwyneth Paltrow is actually barely in the movie. I thought she was in it a lot more, but she only has like three scenes. She's very pivotal in a weird way, though. She's important, but yeah, I well, thought she a, did more. She's sort of important, not just in in terms of plot and, you know, obviously very important as a plot device, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, as sort of the emotional resonant center of the film, uh, she sort of represents hope in a weird sort of way. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense, because because uh, then the, the point of the movie is kind of like the death of hope. Uh, yeah, this movie is so hopeless. This movie is so gray and brown and nihilistic. It's so 1995. It's extremely 95. Uh, I, I, that's what really struck me on this viewing. This is a movie I've watched a lot of times, but it's been at least a couple of years. And it's wow. Been, <laughs> it's been a long time for me, and I might as well. I remembered almost nothing of this movie, actually. I thought I did, but no. Well, especially if you haven't watched it since you saw it on television, like you saw TV cuts of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's some I stuff think in they this. ended it differently. <laughs> Well, and and some of these scenes, I don't know how they would even refer to them in a TV cut. Like the the lust death in particular is very intense. Well, I think the problem was when I was watching the TV cut, I never did understand what happened. Well, yeah, I mean, they would have to edit out so much stuff. I mean, it would be like the TV cut of Big Lebowski, where there's so much swearing (laughs) that it becomes incoherent. This is what happens when you find a man in the Alps. Find a stranger in the Alps. But that's what it is, yeah. Uh, racist melon farmer is a classic one from Die Hard with a Vengeance, too. I like that. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, at least it's creative. I guess. So it starts with Morgan Freeman as Somerset preparing for work. You know, he, He's got his badge, he's got his gun, and he's got his couple knives that he's got hidden on his person. Oh, yeah. Those don't really come into play, do they? He ultimately uses them when uh, they go to uh, – when they're dealing with the painting. But that's really the only time they come about. And he throws them at a dartboard at one point. I mean, that's what he does at night. He is the M- Matthew McConaughey in this true detective pairing. Yeah, although you'd think being the older guy that he'd be the Woody. But uh, no, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a different dynamic actually than what I was kind of expecting. Well, because he's seen too much, you know. He, he's he's uh, the he's the city guy, and he's been in it. But uh, you know, Mills, he's new. He he's fresh. He thinks he can make a difference. He's still got hope. His wife, his girlfriend, calls him Serpico, and yeah. I think he's he's he wants to be Serpico. He's got kind of a Serpico energy to him. He he's trying to have a Serpico energy to him, except yeah. he's a little bit more of a meathead. Like he's more like one of the cops that would have 
bullied Serpico because he's he's not in with like the reading and the no. <laughs> going to the library and stuff. No, he does he does not like that shit. He doesn't even really like sitting still for a few seconds. No. So he goes to his first call of the day, which is a domestic dispute where a wife has murdered her husband. Uh, and of course, uh, Morgan Freeman or Somerset, he wants to know, did the kids see it? And all the other cops fucking hate him. <laughs> yeah. So here's the thing. Morgan Freeman here is just asking a perfectly reasonable question and they're like ripping a strip off of him. Yeah, no, it's it's a very strange thing that like he's just well, did the kids see it? Because you know he's looking around and he sees all of this, uh, all all of these drawings by a child. So obviously there's a child in the house, and it's like, well, was the child present? Did he see this go down? And everyone's like, man, we don't even want to think about that stuff. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, like the other cops, like I, I, this is why I can't wait to get rid of you. Yeah, we're we're so looking forward to him. He's one week away from retirement. Oh, no. He he can't be going on a serial killer case when he's one week away from retirement. I mean, he really can't. We know that's he, a red yeah. ball case, you know? Yeah. But, you know, uh, as it will turn out, there's nobody else to do the job. So, mm-hmm. shit. But, yeah, it's it's interesting how all of the other cops don't like him. I, I'm not totally clear on why. Is it that he cares too much or is it that he's morbid, that he's obsessed with emotional morbid details i could never really figure it out because not clear certainly not from this conversation it isn't it could be one of those things that we hear about how a lot of cops hate a super cop oh you know what yeah and they're too ambitious they make everyone else look bad they actually solve the case and if they're (laughs) solving cases that means i gotta solve the case I don't want to solve cases. I just want to absorb absorb taxpayer money. Yeah, that's what I'm here to do. So he he goes back to the station and he meets his new partner, Detective Mills. They're they don't hit it like right from the get go. Yeah, not not really uh, uh, buds. Uh, Pitt's too inexperienced for him. But he's he's got something to prove though, and uh, yeah, Freeman doesn't like that. No, and he, like, shows up, he's chewing gum, uh, which just kind of makes him seem oafish, obviously, to him. Uh, and, like, he, he keeps saying, look, I, I have done stuff. You've, you, surely you've read my dossier. He's like, no, I haven't. No, I, I haven't. Care. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off the job in six days. I don't care what you're all about. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. I, I have two requests of you. Look and listen. It's all just this is all cold open. And then we see Somerset going to sleep to the sound of a metronome, which goes into the credit sequence. So interesting thing about the credit sequence. Uh, I was watching it and I was like, oh, yeah, so this movie. Oh, spoiler alert. Kevin Spacey is the killer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, one of the worst people in the world portraying a serial killer. But uh, he's not in the opening credits. Yeah, uh, that that was his idea. He he felt that uh, it would give it more, it be, be more of a surprise, give it more impact if uh, he just suddenly showed up as the killer later on. And he's right, it works pretty great. Oh, Although, it works great. 
Although I've seen this movie so many times. So and he's got such a distinctive voice that mm-hmm. when he first shows up, I was like, oh, yeah, there he is. Long before you're supposed to recognize that he is John Doe. Yeah, but uh, it had me thinking because I was watching this. I was watching the credits. I was like, wait. Is the is the movie where Kevin Spacey's the killer? Have I got movies mixed up? So it it actually surprised me again when he showed up. Hmm. Great credit sequence altogether. Like just the design of it is super cool. Very influential. Mm-hmm. The 90s is like the oh, most yeah. 90s. <laughs> it's literally a remix of Nine Inch Nails closer. Yeah, that is what's playing. You get a remix version of it. That's an instrumental. Uh, the notebooks are extremely cool. Like one of the coolest props I've ever seen. Like if I could own a movie prop, that's one that would be high up on my list. Because mm-hmm. they actually did tons of these. They made a, like book after book after book. They actually created these. So if they flipped through them, there would be stuff in all of them. Oh, you mean the John Doe books? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Holy hell. And as we see uh, in this credit sequence, it's him assembling them. They're like sewn together. They're very elaborately designed. Uh, and yeah, yeah they, these uh, are no staples wow. notebooks. Stuff uh, put in and cut out with razor blades. Yeah, extremely elaborate. And yeah, they just made a bunch of them for real. The the, wow. <laughs> the production and design on this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. It it just it's funny, though, because as I'm watching it, I'm like, this all looks so generic because so much has copied from this. Like, yeah, it, it created the crime thriller going forward, like it, it upended the table pretty much. I mean, at least for a few years going forward, everything was this. What was that movie? Was it called Resurrection? Resurrection with Christopher with Lambert the, uh, <laughs> with like the guy trying to the body parts of the apostles to make like a Jesus Voltron. <laughs> but we saw that one Halloween. That's basically this movie. Beat it's beat. completely this movie. It, it was uh, an obvious rip off of this movie. Just completely step for step, beat for beat. Yeah. Uh, it, it is a, a guy who's serial killing people uh, leading up to Easter so that all of the people that he kills, he's taking one body part and building a Jesus out of them, which is so silly. Uh, but like, it feels like this movie. It is so obviously trying to emulate every detail of this movie. And like, one of the big ones is the rain. Mm-hmm. Just constant rain. This is such a gloomy movie. Oppressive. Oh, yeah. e- even when they're like out in the open in the middle of the day at the end, it's still all overcast and dark and got like the the brown tones it's got like it it feels smoggy it feels like a really muggy day ah yes actually so it opens up uh after the credits pit getting up or mills rather getting up really early and he's just super eager it's like his his wife's still asleep and he's just up and pacing and, and about like you can see how much it matters to him Mm-hmm. And it does make him a little more endearing. Yeah, I really like Brad Pitt's performance here. I mean, I like most Brad Pitt performances, but this one, he's just got like that energy that he he know he wants to make a difference, but he doesn't like the whole time he's on screen. You feel like he doesn't know how to direct that energy or or rather his character does. He He doesn't. He does. 
Well, yeah, I, I th- this was the big nervous energy era of Brad Pitt. Like this is, I think, the year before, maybe the same year as Twelve Monkeys. Oh yeah, that's which right. Is another. Ooh, that that's a big performance. That one's got a lot yeah. of nervous energy. Yeah, and, and a few years before Fight Club, where he kind of calms down a bit. Maybe. Yeah, well, he he's sort of developed into a real heartthrob by that time. Uh-huh. Although I guess he had already done that. He he sort of was a teen heartthrob, and then he was kind of proving himself for a period here with a lot of like really wild performances and nervous energy, and then. He kind of settled into being a movie star after that, although he's still a weird movie star. Yeah, but but yeah, he, he's pretty movie star now, whereas here he's he's a little all over the place in this era, which which I like. I enjoy. Yeah, he's got an energy. It's great. Yeah. Uh, and, and he doesn't have a lot of ego about himself. Uh, he He's willing to play a character who is kind of foolish, like he's lovable and eager, but there, there's a foolishness to him. He He's making mistakes all the time. Well, I mean, he makes a big one at the he end. He makes a few. So uh, him starting uh, waiting out in the rain for Somerset with two coffees is really great. And then Somerset shows up and doesn't want it. Oh, <laughs> just like down. Him just like leaving it and is like, okay. And just like drops the other one where, where they're at and just keeps going with his. They head to the first crime scene. So the first crime scene, uh, this is the gluttony one, right? The gluttony murder. Uh, Where it's not immediately clear that it's a murder uh, until it is. And Mills, on the way in, kind of almost gets into a stupid fight with one of the, like, attending guys, like one of the cops on the scene. He's like, well, did you check for vitals? And like... Un- unless the dude's breathing spaghetti sauce, <laughs> he, he, there, there's no vitals to check for. It's like, you know, uh, standard operating procedure. And it's like, man, what are you trying to prove here? And Freeman's like, what the hell are you doing? I yeah. don't know. It's like, I, I don't know, man. I'm, I got all this energy to direct somewhere. It's like, well, direct it somewhere else. Yeah, direct it actually solving the case. So uh, our our first victim is this very large guy. Uh, he is face down in the spaghetti. Yep. He, his arms and his legs have been tied and he's got big gun barrel shaped bruises on his head. Someone's been jamming a gun in his face. Yeah. And, and under the table, there is a bucket of vomit, uh, which is real gross. Yep. Uh, you know, Pitt finds the bucket and is like, well, what's in it? Take a look. And he uh, puts his nose into it very uh, inadvisably. Yeah. And Freeman's, I love it. Freeman's just like, was there any blood in there? Pitt's like, I'm not checking. Go for it, man. Yeah. And like very quickly, Somerset just gets sick of Mills and he sends him out. Like, yep. go, go interview the neighbors. And Mills is just like, hey, man, you, you need me on this case. I want to make a difference. You're just trying to get rid of me. Well, yeah, it's it's quite like uh, it's sort of a a Batman and Robin thing, uh, like what we had when we talked Batman Forever. Oh yeah, when Robin was first starting out. Yeah, he's like, come on, I I I want to be equal, and I I've proven myself already. He's like, man, just go do something. I I don't want to deal with you. <laughs> I'm a weary expert in this stuff. Yeah. 
they go to the autopsy and find that the dude was fed until he burst uh completely against his will yep they're saying it must have yeah it must have taken like 12 hours the killer actually stopped to get more groceries at one point yeah at some point he left and went and got more food and came back and continued to feed until he exploded inside yeah gross gross uh and and very intense and like obviously someone putting a huge amount of effort into this yeah but brad pitt's like oh man this guy's a psycho he's not a thinking person and freeman's like dude he's a mastermind well yeah and the the boss is on his side arlie ermy uh you know well that's where he was i didn't i didn't recognize him as the boss i knew he was in it and i was looking for him but didn't really know his face so i was you know just waiting for yelling Uh, okay so yeah he is the police captain and he's sort of in charge the whole time he's got a fairly major role in this movie actually uh and and he just doesn't buy it he's like uh freeman immediately picks up like well this is very elaborate like this is so heavily staged this is this is the start of something it's a serial killer and i don't want to be involved in it this is my last week i don't have time for it i've got six days left i can't be doing a serial killer case (laughs) it's kind of funny that his whole thing is like i i don't want the case and also i don't want you to give it to mills because he's not ready mills is like yeah i'm ready i'm ready come on give it to me give 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 uh it it does kind of feel like david fincher's batman and robin in a certain sense (laughs) it kind of does actually because like you've got Morgan Freeman, who is very much too old for this shit, is is his whole energy. Mm-hmm. And then also his energy is that Mills is too young for this shit. And it doesn't matter what Mills thinks. <laughs> of course, the captain's like, look, there's nobody else who can even do this case. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. Tough. You, you catch the cases that you get and then you work them. That's how it's always been. You don't get to pick and choose. Yeah. <laughs> Although he does agree with him. He's like, no, I agree with you about Mills. I'll reassign him to something else. Mills is just like, hey, come on, man. He's like, oh, come on. Seriously, I, I've paid my dues. I'm like, have you? Yeah, have you? You have done nothing yet? He's upstate, I guess. And and, and that's the thing is he's new in the big city. Like, he, Yeah, he's, he's... He's proved himself elsewhere, maybe. Yeah, he's not new to being a cop, but he's new here, which means he might as well be new to being a cop. Yeah, because you don't know what it's like in the big city. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, I'm trying to figure out what, what exactly he is. Richard Roundtree shows up here to talk to the press. I guess he's the police cap. No, he can't be the captain because Ermy's the captain. The spokesperson? I think he's maybe like the district attorney or something. Oh, yeah, I think that's what he is. Yeah. But yeah, Shaft himself, Richard Roundtree in a small role. Oh, shit. I didn't know that's who that was. I, I really like him talking to the press because he's like, all right, I will take questions. And if those questions don't come in a calm, orderly fashion, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Shaft. Yeah, he's he he brings that same energy to it. It's like, man, screw you. Uh, you can ask ask these questions, and if you start to annoy me, I'm done. Uh, I love that. More more people need to be like that. Yeah, it's really fun. 
So the reason he's there is because Murder 2 has taken place and it's really high profile. Oh, yes, because Murder 2 is a he's a lawyer, isn't he? Or like a defense attorney? Major defense attorney, kind of the biggest defense attorney in town, a guy called Eli Gould. And I feel like I've actually heard this guy's name before, but it's just. I mean, <laughs> it's so it's generic. A, it's a ge- but it's like a generic famous person name. Uh, well, it, it's just like two very common Jewish names, and they're both names that are really common if you uh, are an attorney, if you are in banking. Like those are just really big names that like are very common. So it, it, it's it's just you know. Eh, it's not that's, the best, but it's. That's why I felt like I've heard it before. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very uh, e- easily recognizable as like a, a cliche attorney name. So his is the greed murder, and his is the first one where we see the word written on the crime scene. They didn't catch it yet at murder one. Yeah, because it's hidden there. Yeah. So greed is in blood on the carpet. And there's a scale. Uh, it's right next. Yeah, there's a scale where he had to take a pound of his own flesh with a knife. Although they haven't determined that that's what it is quite yet. They they found the scale and they have the flesh and they're like, what the hell is this? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it's going to take uh, Somerset to clue them in on the classical illusion of it all. Oh, yeah, because he has to go to the library and Brad Pitt's got to buy his cliff notes. Well, I think he picks it up immediately uh, that it's a, a Shakespeare reference, but it's it's the other ones that he has to get. Like, OK, we're, we're going to have to just get a whole bunch of classical stuff because this guy, he's a genius. <laughs> no, he's not. not. Just... He's actually crazy. He, well, it's both. He, yeah. Well, I don't, I don't know if it's both. He's he's not a genius. He has a library card. Uh, it, it's, <laughs> it's it's the same thing as the all of the arguments about the actual Zodiac killing. Like, oh, he's definitely a genius. Like, I don't know. The cipher is extremely sloppy. It kind of seems like maybe he wants to be seen as a genius more than he's a genius. That's definitely the impression I get from the killer here is that he really has an overinflated sense of what he's doing. Absolutely. This work will change the world. It won't. Yeah. So Mills has landed the Eli Gould case, which is obviously much higher profile. And it's like, well, I, I mean, it lands how it lands. He's he's in it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, I, I really like Ermy as, as the police captain in Somerset's dingy, tiny, crummy, dimly lit office. He's <laughs> like, you can't leave all this. <laughs> <laughs> oh what <laughs> yeah i mean like you can't leave the action i guess is the implication yeah well he uh, can't because he it's true he ends up doing research on his own even after saying no i'm not going to do the case i'm not going to do it he's a dude who takes his work home with him i i understand i get it yeah yeah so uh ermy has some important details some plastic was found fed to gluttony man oh yes um, some weird plastic bits that they can't identify yeah the plot thickens well so uh immediately somerset is able to pick it up like he he goes to the scene with the little baggie of plastic bits and he finds that 
They're from drag marks in the flooring. They're pieces of flooring that were fed to him. Now, the fact that the killer thought of this and then thought that the cops were going to figure it out. uh, This is insane. (laughs) That he was able to figure it out just from this. Well, this is one of those big ones where it's just like, obviously, they're working back from where they want the plot to point. Yeah. (laughs) So it doesn't really make sense to it is one of those that overinflates the genius of the serial killer. Like again, mm-hmm. one of the most nineties things about it is how much it's like, Oh, serial killers are actually secret geniuses. Cause they're, they're great at outsmarting cops and cops are brilliant. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the public hadn't <laughs> quite caught on to the fact that it's because cops don't bother. Well, uh, it's, not yet. It's because the average cop is not trained for this sort of thing. It's just not the kind of, crime that they know how to combat well that's true uh, so of course he finds gluttony written on the wall behind the fridge written in grease yeah. it's gross yeah so obviously yeah hey greed and gluttony we've got the seven deadly sins you can expect oh, five shit, more of these they're connected and this is just the beginning yeah and, and he goes to he and Mills go to Ermy and like, I don't want the case. <laughs> this is, these are connected. And Mills is like, I'll, I will take the case. I, I absolutely will. I'm like, shut up. <laughs> uh, and Ermy's there talking to them and he, he's just like sitting at a random desk and the phone rings and he picks it up. I'm like, this is not even my desk. And he hangs up on them. <laughs> that phone call might've been for the person who was at that desk. You just hung up on him, you rude jerk. Well, and this is a police station. It could have been important. It could have been very important. It could have been John Doe. It could have been. It seems like the sort of thing he'd do is call them. <laughs> well, he hung up on me. I guess I don't admire this one. Uh, he would not. I, I do not think he would admire Ermy's captain character. Mm-mm. So this is the part where uh, uh, where Somerset goes to the library at night. Mm, I love this location. Just the, the ambiance of this scene. Except for, you know, the noisy cops playing poker on the on the second floor. Bunch of jerks. Yeah. And and taunting him, no less. Oh, yeah. Hey, what are you doing? Solving a case? Uh, bunch of jerks. Uh, why don't you come play poker with us? You're going to miss us. I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to miss this place. <laughs> yeah. I, I just love all the glowing green shades on all of the desks. Like, oh, such a... Great warm detail color. Oh yeah, libraries don't really have that anymore, do they? I haven't well, seen that in forever. I guess it depends on the library. I think this is a, a classic New York library. Like this might be the main New York Public Library, which uh, okay. one time was pretty elegant. I don't know what it's like now. Yeah, hmm. uh, I couldn't say. But yeah, it's it's an interesting contrast. You know, it, we we see him picking out some books, the Canterbury Tales and Divine Comedy, and uh, the the guards playing poker put on some Bach. <laughs> it's very very Tony, mm-hmm. uh, and it's contrasted uh, in montage with Brad Pitt doing his look at the crime scene studio or crime scene photos, which are grotesque and horrifying. Oh, yeah. And just drinking PBR in his pant in his underwear, you know. <laughs> Brad Pitt doesn't go to the library to solve his crimes. He also doesn't calm down. No, and it kind of 
puts him on a level with the library security guards. You know, like he feels like he is more on their wavelength than Somerset. Oh, yeah. Especially because they have a sequence where he pauses to watch basketball that sort of like <laughs> feels like he's sort of doing the same thing that they're into. Like they've got sports on and so forth. Yeah. And obviously reading Dante is just completely not working out for him the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> he's cursing out the book and punching it in his car the next morning. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, uh, as uh, another cop comes by with a bag of cliff notes, which he hides from Somerset. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I I like that little detail. He's like, hopefully the killer just skimmed Dante's Inferno. Hopefully, so th- that way I can get away with skimming it. I mean, honestly, that that's probably a fair bet. Well, you know, normally it would be. It just this guy is like the hyper super killer, so of All course right. he did, did not skim Don. Yeah. <laughs> the, the real version would have skimmed Dante's Inferno. Yeah, the, the real version has a buggy cipher. We we can't solve it because it's just not put, put, put together right. <laughs> Is that what happened with Zodiac? Like, he didn't do his code correctly? I mean, it's because he's got so many misspellings in everything he writes, and the code is weird and doesn't make a lot of sense that he's oh. clearly just put some weird substitutions in. It's not that it's overcomplicated, it's that it's not very good. <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> well, it was good enough that they didn't ever catch him. Yeah, I, I guess. I mean, he it's it's like the 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 most prolific one, uh, the truck driver guy. He's just he was so stupid that they just they couldn't catch him. He, he just stupided his way through it because he just <laughs> uh, the way uh, just idiocy is able to protect itself in some strange manner. Oh, yeah. So uh, Somerset answers the phone, and it's Gwyneth Paltrow, Tracy, the wife. Uh, yeah, inviting inviting him out to dinner with with her and Mills. Yeah, inviting him to dinner at their apartment, where uh, obviously he does not want to, but she talks him into it, although we don't hear any of it. And Mills, of course, was not privy to any of this. No, he's very surprised when... He hangs up and like, I'm coming to dinner at your house tonight. And like, really? Uh, hello, wife. Um, you didn't consult me. The the scene at the apartment is the scene that really makes like that really drives home how much True Detective season one is just seven the series. Oh yeah. Because <laughs> like the the dynamic between the three of them is exactly the same as when uh, McConaughey comes to dinner with. Uh, Woody and his wife the first time. Mm-hmm. Although, although Morgan Freeman doesn't end up sleeping with Gwyneth Paltrow. Right. Uh, they they have an emotional connection, but it doesn't go further than that. Because this is the just best. the pilot episode. This is just the pilot episode. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the detail that they have three big sloppy dogs and they're obviously not house trained because they're kept in a room. That's all newspapers on the floor. <laughs> And and when Mills gets home, he has to just ignore his guest to go get mauled by the dogs. 
yeah, he, the he's good dogs. <laughs> he's got to just open the door and go be on the floor in the room and be mobbed by dogs. I understand. I've been. Oh yeah, no, I mean, you gotta get mauled by your dogs. I I have the I have two big dogs and yeah, it's it's like that. What happens if you don't let them maul you? Uh, I mean, they they just whine and whimper and it never stops and it builds up. Yeah, you gotta do it. You gotta do it every day. So. What the other thing about the apartment is that the subway really rumbles it, <laughs> like like Blues Brothers level. It's absurd. They've got like this whole story about how the real estate agent screwed them because he wouldn't let them check out the apartment for more than five minutes at a time. Yeah, and it it was the first night there after they'd after they'd you know bought in that they realized what the reason was. Uh, and the the subway just insanely rattles every thing in the house. Like things are falling over. The dogs are going insane. And Morgan Freeman just bursts out laughing. <laughs> it's a great laughing bit. And when Paltrow starts laughing, and Brad Pitt's like, "Guys, what what are you laughing at?" It's like you live here. Come on. <laughs> it's very infectious laughter, though. Like it's oh totally pitch perfect. Very funny. Hmm. So they start reviewing the case, and this is where he realizes the pound of flesh thing. Oh, wow, that is a lot later than I thought. Okay. Yeah, which is from the Merchant of Venice. It's a a, a whole. It's this it, again. It's a Jewish thing. Uh, the Merchant of Venice was uh, Shakespeare's only canonical Jewish character, and it's central to the character and uh, the the whole. Uh, plot of Merchant of Venice hinges on him betting a pound of his flesh against uh, some sort of financial bet. I, I haven't seen slash read that one. It's an odd one. It's one of the later ones, and it's sort of a strange mix of comedy and drama. Uh, okay. I, I think is considered one of his problem plays, unless it's just generally considered a comedy. Maybe it's just got really bad baggage over time. <laughs> This is where they're they they get into their philosophies on how incredibly cynical they both are, and especially uh, Somerset. Somerset is so so bleakly cynical. Mm-hmm. He's just like completely over it. Yeah, and he's like, like, how did nobody he- or uh, Mills is saying, how did nobody hear this going down? And uh, he says, well. Minding your own business is a science in the big city. And, and they have the thing about help. Uh, you don't cry help, you cry fire. Because people ignore calls for help. Yeah, nobody answers to help. Yell fire. Yeah, who is it? It's Brad Pitt, I think, who says, wow, that's fucked up. Yeah, it's like, that's fucked up, man. Because he still has hope. Mm-hmm. He, still, he still wants to make a difference. He still wants to be the Serpico. He still thinks it's possible to make a difference. Yeah. Uh, so they, they look at the photos of the photos, which have blood around the eyes of Gould's wife. Yeah, and here's where they think, well, maybe she's seen something, or maybe she's supposed to see something. And they're right. Uh, they the are idea, right. But... Well, that that's the fucked up thing about it that kind of hit me on this review is that uh, John Doe wanted her to have to look at them. Yeah. 
Like he yes. inserted that clue knowing that they would follow it to make her have to look at the crime scene photos. Yeah, because nobody else would be able to know that the one painting is upside down. Yeah, and and she's like, it, it's not even just that she's the only one who's going to recognize it. It's that like he has led a clue so that like he's he's doing a Riddler where yeah. he's leaving clues that they can follow just so that they will traumatize her with these photos. Yeah, yeah, you could solve the riddle, but you have to traumatize this poor lady to do it. I mean, it's not quite Saw, but you can see how Saw emanates out of this. Mm. Still haven't seen any Saw movies. Honestly, neither have I. I've only seen oh, really? pieces. I've never watched one in full. Oh, wow. Not to my taste in a weird sort of way. What I've seen anyways. So, yeah, they, they she realizes that one of the abstract paintings on the wall is hung upside down. And they go to find it and like, yeah, not only is it upside down, like he had it professionally like reset so it, it would be uh framed upside down like he had to move the screws and stuff yeah had to like basically redo that whole section of the wall yeah just just for kicks oh not and, for kicks to conceal the next oh, yeah. big clue <laughs> i mean all of this is for kicks uh oh he, it is absolutely for kicks he he pretends it's a missionary thing but it's for kicks so I it, must thwart the police. I must. <laughs> to ask me not to thwart Batman is the one thing I derive pleasure from. Yeah, well, I think, again, it's the Riddler, it's Batman and Robin. Like, this does feel kind of oddly Batman-y throughout. Oh, totally. In, in an odd way. <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I'm, I'm totally seeing it that way now that you mention <laughs> it. So behind the painting, they find Help Me in Fingerprints. So they think, well, it's got to be the fingerprints of our guy. Gotta be. Is, but is the help me, like, help me to stop killing? It's I'm not. hard to say. It isn't. It's it's also not the guy. It's not their guy. It's not the guy. <laughs> but, oh, man, they think it is. They've got everybody going to this dude's apartment. I, I really like the bit where they're running the prints and they just kind of bond a little. Oh, yeah, because they're they're in the shop the or the lab and the guy's like, yo, this takes three days sometimes. <laughs> yeah, because he's starting to get annoyed with them and their banter. <laughs> <laughs> like, could you guys just fucking go somewhere else with this shit? And you see them just outside the lab later like, asleep <laughs> on the couch. Yeah, they fell asleep on each other. It's cute. They, they yeah, finally like started it. to bond a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Although they're they're still really miserable. Like uh, Somerset starts to talk about clues collected for unsolved cases. Oh, yeah. And how all they're doing is just collecting clues so that maybe just maybe it might be used in a court case eventually somewhere down the road. Yeah. Uh, he, he likens them to finding diamonds on a deserted island that you can use if in the, the event that you happen to be rescued. Yeah. It's like, ah, oh, that. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's like, great, I got all these diamonds, but there's no guarantee I'll ever be able to use them. Uh, and it's, it's such a hopeless worldview, but I get it. Like, when, you, yeah. when you're looking at a crime apocalypse, which isn't really the way New York is now, but it sort of was for a period in the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I kind of get it there. Notably, the name that comes up is Theodore Allen, Ted Allen. I think that's the most popular suspect in the zodiac case 
Oh. Isn't it? Uh, I don't recall. It's uh, one of the names. Okay. I've read a lot of Zodiac shit. Uh, <laughs> one of the books, I, there, there is a guy named Alan. Uh, I don't know if it's Ted Allen, but uh, it, it, in the movie that Fincher would go on to do, I think Alan is his favorite sub- suspect. Uh, so I think it's fun that they use Theodore Allen there. Okay, that's, there's a that's lot cool. of <laughs> there's a lot of references to Zodiac. There's one that you pointed out later that I have somewhere in the notes here too. Oh, the the drawing. The drawing, yeah. Uh, but this this guy, he's no, his real name's Theodore Allen, but he's just known as Victor. Oh yeah, and he's got a he's got a mile long rap sheet and all this and that and real strict dangerous. religious upbringing. Yeah. Notably, very strict religious upbringing, and uh, Eli Gould defended him in court. So they, oh, he must be our guy. He he makes sense. I mean, his fingerprints were at the scene. He's got the strict religious upbringing, so seven deadly sins. It all kind of does fit. Yeah, it, no, it does. But that's the point. It's that's supposed the point. to fit. <laughs> so the, the the scene with the SWAT team. It reminded me kind of like the wire sequence with the SWAT team. You know the one? Uh, which one are we thinking of? I think it's end of season three when uh, they they go into like they, they had their wire and they're finally like, OK, we're closing down and we know the safe house where the main guys are. We're just going to go in with that. And the SWAT team is all super keyed up and you see all of them do this stuff and uh, all our main detectives are like, this is so overplayed. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The SWAT team's like, all right, you guys, oh, we're going to do break down the door. And Freeman's like, they love doing this. Yeah. And they're just like they knock on the door and walk up I'm like, come on, these these people are not going to deal with this. They don't want to have, have to pay for an expensive door. They're reasonable folks. We know them. Yeah. This scene feels a lot like that to me because they're <laughs> so over the SWAT team. The SWAT team is so amped yeah. up. Yeah. <laughs> So on the way there, uh, a more bonding, we have them talking about guns, how Somerset's never fired his. Oh, yeah. And how Brad Pitt has had to once. One time uh, uh, he was on a SWAT raid, basically the same as this. And one of the cops with him was killed by the perp. Uh, a very human moment in that he gets frustrated that he can't remember the guy's name. Yeah. It's like, God damn, man. Was his what name. was his fucking name? And then it just cuts to them arriving at the scene of murder yeah. number three. This one is, or rather the true detective stole this one whole cloth. <laughs> Completely. Uh, so this is sloth. Although they go in thinking it's going to be the suspect. Well, it is the suspect. Oh yeah, it's the suspect. It's just not their guy. Not uh, their guy. They, they find I, a not quite dead body at this point, surrounded by so many air fresheners. Tied up to a bed. Uh, they don't know he's not quite dead because he looks like a corpse. He looks gross. They've been pumping heroin or uh, John Doe has been pumping heroin into him. It's been a year in the making because they find the photos, like a, a whole set of progression over time. And- dates. Yeah, and in fact, this started one year ago to the day from when they found him. To the very day. So he's very precise. He, he's a super genius serial killer. Rare, of course. Rare. <laughs> of course. 
He's like the animated series Riddler. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah, I mean, the the animated series Riddler wasn't that threatening. Uh, Maybe more like the current The Batman one. I think he might be a killer in that. Oh, I haven't seen that. I haven't yet either. I've been meaning to. I really will soon. Uh, so ultimately, they they think it's a dead body, but one of the cops on the scene leans into him and says, "You got what you deserve," and he suddenly springs up like a zombie. It's great. Yep, scares the hell out of the dude. <laughs> oh yeah, and I love later they're talking to the doctors like, "So he's gonna make it, right?" Uh, <laughs> he's no. basically a dead body already. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, so the so John Doe had cut off his hand and used that to make the fingerprints. Yeah, uh, the the hand is just missing. We we won't catch up with it for a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but out in the hall, Mills and Somerset are kind of shooting the shit, and this photographer comes up and starts bugging them. Uh, Mills gets into an argument with him. I got a right to be here. I got a right to be here. I'm the press. I got a right to be here. You're impugning the free speech of the press or whatever. And he takes a picture of them and, you know, Mills is like, get the fuck out of here. And he's like, I got your picture, man. Uh, and it's Spacey. <laughs> it is Kevin Spacey, although I think he's doing a voice in this. That's why I didn't recognize him quite away, right away. Sort of. He's doing his, uh, he's doing this voice. You know, he's doing his Leno. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a Leno. That's, that's it. That's perfect. I got your picture, man. Uh, yeah, and he chase they they chase him off, but uh, yeah, it, it was notable because it's been a really long time since I've watched the movie. But as soon as he was having the argument with him, I'm like, oh hey, that's fucking Spacey, it's John John Doe. So here is our first encounter with the killer, although we won't technically know about it for some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Sloth is pretty much dead. Like, uh, even if you wanted to talk to him. He ate his tongue, so you're out of luck on that. Yeah, he ate his tongue and his brain is mush. He ain't telling you nothing. Yeah. So Somerset gets called by Tracy. She wants to meet him for breakfast to talk about some stuff. (laughs) Yeah, and he's like, okay. Like, all right, uh, sounds fine. And it's a mixture of things. She starts with that it's basically culture shock that she's got. Yeah. The the big cities living in New York coming from upstate. The people, the society, it's it's totally different. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she's not used to it. Also, she's pregnant. Also, she's pregnant. That's kind of the, the, the big deal. Uh, and she has not told Mills yet. Yeah, so uh, Somerset's advice is like, uh, if you're going to get rid of the baby, don't ever tell him about it because, well, no, he has a story to go with that advice. Yeah, he has a whole story about how he once had he was in a long term relationship and he convinced his partner to get rid of it. And he still feels it was the right decision, but he also regrets it. Mm -hmm. That must be complicated as fuck to experience, actually. Yeah, it'd be drag. (laughs) Fucking bummer. Yeah. So Mills and Somerset, this is where they're arguing about whether or not. John Doe is insane or brilliant. You could be both. Well, but that's, that's yeah, it's not really what they're what the argument's about. Yeah, I I mean like I I don't feel like either of them are entirely right or wrong. He's intelligent and obviously he's 
movie intelligence. So, you know, he's he's extra brilliant. He's got that Moriarty thing. Oh, yeah. But he's once he talks, you realize he's pretty nuts. He's nuts. And he's so narcissistic, just like incredibly narcissistic. Uh And them thinking he's a genius only feeds into it. Yeah. Like, I, I would say this is maybe the most or the worst popularizer of the genius serial killer myth. Yeah, because when you actually start learning about the serial killers, you learn most of them are kind of dumb. The Yeah, the majority of them are very stupid or they're just so deranged that they can't function in any real fashion. Yeah, and the reason that cops can't catch him isn't because they outsmart the cops, but because they just there's no pattern. There's no pattern. You just they just go after whoever. There's there's not much pa- uh, there, there's nothing to follow. Like if they don't leave clues behind, like yeah, I mean they're they're killing people because of their internal logic, and they don't have much of one. Yeah, exactly. Um, whereas cops are always looking like because most murders are done by somebody who knows the victim. So that's right. what they're looking for. But serial killers don't operate that way. They, they're they mostly taking out, like, random people who fits their profile. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's always something internal that drives them. And usually it's very specific to themselves, which maybe Resurrection gets really right by it's just, well, he feels like that guy kind of looks like Jesus. <laughs> or this part <laughs> of his body sort of looks like a Jesus body part. His first I mean, name is the same <laughs> as one of the apostles. Let's grab his foot. He's a good he's a good batch. Uh, I, I, I guess this movie sort of has its cake and eats it, too, because it does have Mills protesting that he's not a genius. I really like his line. Look, just because he has a library card doesn't mean he's a Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a really good point. I, and I, I feel like maybe he's supposed to seem more of a fool in the movie, but. I think he's right. It's like, look, he has access to the library. Yeah. And this is key. He has access to the library and he's looked at all of these books. So that's how he knows this shit. You know, you don't need to be a genius to read classical literature. But wait, what if there was he's been looking at the books in the library? What if there was a way to track down who's reading what books? (laughs) Exactly. So they meet this dude. Uh, named Greasy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I love this bit. He just shows up, the hand of money, and he leaves. Just at this really dingy pizza joint. They just give him a wad of bills. <laughs> Brad Pitt's like, what the hell was that all about? Yeah. He's like, this is this guy I know in the FBI. Uh, he can look into the library records. <laughs> Mills is stunned. <laughs> is, is this legal? Is this okay? It's like, how is this legal? We can't be doing this kind of surveillance on, on the public. We'd be making a surveillance state. Oh, people didn't know anything in 1995. Well, I mean, it's he's clearly thinking about it. And what's interesting to me especially is that it's Freeman in this because he has the same speech in The Dark Knight, right? When he's do, he's setting up his surveillance thing. Oh, God, yeah, because I forgot he was in that. Because he's the one who sets up uh, Batman's surveillance sphere <laughs> that right. he uses at the climax of the movie. Right, right. 
And he has that whole argument about, you know, whether it's good for the government to know this stuff. That was kind of an interesting thing uh, in that light. I really like them looking through the book list that comes back. Uh, There's some pretty good jokes. (laughs) Oh, uh, so one of them, uh, you know, when, when he's of human bondage, bondage, like not what you think. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. And he refers to the Marquis de Chardet. <laughs> Chardet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like uh, Marquis de Sade. It's like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because this is all stuff that like, Every teenage edgelord is looking up. But it's, like, yeah. <laughs> it seems so intellectual. Yeah. Or it's pre- presented that way here. Well, yeah, but I like, mean, the Desaad, come on. Yeah, totally. And who hasn't looked up Dante's Inferno? Well, he, Brad Pitt even says that. It's like, we could find the killer, or we could find somebody doing a college research paper on true crime. Yeah, I, so or someone who is just... Uh, a student of classical literature. I mean, I can look yeah. to my left and I can see a picture of Divine Comedy from where I'm sitting. You must be the killer. I'm the killer. Oh my god. <laughs> so they they look at all of the books and they narrow it down to a guy with the very unlikely name of Jonathan Doe. It, it does seem weird that they were able to narrow it down like so perfectly. It does, especially in a city like New York where there's so many people using the libraries. Yeah. He's and got also, all the important ones. Wouldn't John Doe have just bought copies of the books? What <laughs> if he had? Good thing he didn't. I mean, you would assume he had because ultimately I think the idea is that he is independently wealthy. Oh, yeah, that's right. Although I don't really understand how that works because it's we don't really understand who well. he is. Yeah, no. I don't know. But the, this is the first time that they catch him by surprise. The, he did not know about the uh, FBI library uh, surveillance thing. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, of course, you just assume that you're that everybody knows what books you're checking out when you go to the library. There's like there there was a joke on The Simpsons about it around this time. I gotta figure. Oh, probably the the one where Lisa is buying the book, or no, Bart is buying the book on extraterrestrials, but Lisa is buying the book on Al Gore by buying Al Gore's biography. <laughs> and and we have like that conspiracy sequence like where they're scanning the barcodes and it goes through all of these tunnels and it gets to the oval office and Mr. Vice President someone bought your book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, it, this is the first time they've been ahead of him and they they surprise him so much he's coming home with groceries while they're outside his door. Yep. So he he drops them and it's chase time. He drops them. He shoots at them. And uh, they, yeah, they chase a, a Mills chase after him. This is a pretty cool chase scene through like like all the different apartment buildings and rooftops in New York. Heavy rain all the time, you know, breaking yeah. through windows, sliding on roof tiles. Going like through people's apartments. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a good chase. Ultimately. Yeah. Ultimately. Uh, John Doe ends up getting the drop on Mills. Yep, and he puts his gun right up beside him. But uh, ultimately, but the, he decides to let him go. I don't know if he decided or if I think he he frames it that he decided that that later. But I think what happens was Morgan Freeman was getting too close. Mm. I guess he decided. 
I don't know, because, I mean, he could easily have shot him and gone away than not shot him and gone away. I, I feel like he just had bigger plans, because... Well, he definitely does have bigger plans. Yeah, I mean, he seems like he's looking for the the person for this last pick. You know, he's building up to this his planned crescendo. Which is kind of funny, because, like... What if it didn't work out? Like, his whole thing would have fallen apart if any other cops got assigned to this thing. Yeah, it doesn't really work. Like, again, the, the, it's it's uh, it's plot armor sort of deal. Uh, it, it doesn't really fit, but, you know, he, he's the serial killer super genius, so we just got to assume he, he saw it all. He has access to the script. He does. So, yeah, uh, he does not ultimately shoot him, and they go back and... They argue about whether or not they're going to go into the apartment. Yeah, because uh, uh, Morgan Freeman doesn't want to do it because they don't have probable cause. And Brad Pitt's like, whoa, he shot at us. It's like, yeah, but we got the information with sketchy underground dealings, though. Yeah, we, we, we can't have my FBI guy as a witness, so we can't really reference that. We have no reason to put us here. But they, I like the solution they come up with. Uh, this is this feels like something out of the wire. <laughs> this felt felt very wiry. Yeah, they <laughs> Brad Brad Pitt just kicks the door down, and then they pay off a junkie. Yeah, <laughs> Fuzzy Dunlop. <laughs> yeah, he's like, just pretend to be our CI. It's fine. And you're and like, then, oh yeah, I I called him because I seen this guy. He was looking really suspicious. Oh, and then then he did a murder over there. No, no, that's enough. That's enough. <laughs> so his his apartment, very creepy. Great design, this place. Oh, yeah. Uh, we find the buddy's hand. The the hand is in a jar. Yep. There's lots uh, of Bibles and lots of just general well, religious stuff. Iconography. He's got like the neon cross above his bed. Creepy. Uh, lots of painkillers. Like he's yeah, got, you know, that doesn't really get examined. I would have to assume that he is addicted to pain medication, and maybe that's part of his psychosis. Like, if you take a lot of painkillers, you get bad psychosis. Okay, that makes sense. A very important thing they find is a leather shop receipt, although they won't get to that for a little bit. Mm, oh, yeah, right. The, the thing. <laughs> the thing. Uh, they find all those notebooks, which are extremely cool. And he has his personal dark room with lots of photos we've seen. Uh, and one photo we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Also, no fingerprints. Not None whatsoever. Goddamn fingerprint in the place he lives. Yep. And Brad Pitt's like, can't even believe it. He's like, no, you obviously missed it. Search again. It's like, you're not going to believe this, but we haven't found any any fingerprints. Like, I don't believe you. <laughs> yep, exactly. This is where they come with the uh, artist depiction that is clearly just the Zodiac. Uh, well, drawing. it also reminded me of the Breaking Bad picture. It's uh, the Heisenberg drawing completely. Yeah, just without the sunglasses and without the goatee. Which so I, it's I guess... like a hybrid of that. And the it's, Zodiac yeah, it's, drawing. It's, it's exactly in between them. I, I have to imagine that both of them were, were were trying to reference the Zodiac. Oh, yeah. And I feel like the Heisenberg drawing must have been referencing this drawing specifically. True, true. Uh, I mean, this movie is so influential. Uh, I, I really love him, or Mills, looking at it. He's like, 
Yeah, yeah, good, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, does not look the slightest bit like him in any way. Doesn't really look like anybody. No, it looks absurd. Uh, but yeah, he also finds the photograph of himself taken by that reporter that uh, they had the altercation with a bit ago. Right. They're like, oh, shit, we had him. Uh, Somerset in the notebooks, he's going through them. He finds that one where he has this. He, he reads an anecdote about him barfing on a guy in the subway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, serial killer journals are such a mess. Yeah. I, I, well, you've seen we've been like listening to some true crime pro- podcasts and every time a serial killer journal comes up, it's utter nonsense. Well, it depends. Like th- this, his seemed kind of more like Pan's Ram rather than something uh, on the line of something like Willie Picton, who is uh, so incoherent. Yeah. The way he writes, though, oh, I hate it. It's just like he writes like a big wall of text. He he writes like one of those asshole manifesto guys. Oh, he so does. Because, yeah, his whole thing is about this guy talking to him and he has nothing to say to him. And then he vomits all over the guy and then laughs hysterically. Yeah, because the guy was so. Jeez, cat. So uh, he phones them at his apartment. Yep. <laughs> they They have to find the phone underneath like a pile of paper or clothes or something yeah and, and they, they, he's like i'm i'm impressed i admire you in my very kevin spacey voice I, i'm gonna have to move my schedule up i i didn't think you guys would show up at my place good work yeah <laughs> but you know i still have the upper hand i'm still a super genius killer and everything and you didn't actually catch me off guard but i, I mean, admire you to, to some extent that would be true they kind of haven't stopped anything Oh, no, not at all. They didn't find they didn't find clues for the next killing. No, they did find clues for the next killing because that's where they go right next. Oh, right. Onto the leather shop. Yeah, the leather. Ooh, this whole thing. <laughs> this one I is, feel like this must have been taken completely out of the TV version. I It had to have been. I cannot have even imagine. That is the one I was talking about earlier. I, I just can't imagine that they could refer to any element of this or even show this set. Yeah. The sex dungeon, the industrial sex dungeon. Yeah. Yeah, the guy at the leather shop is like, hey, man, I don't ask questions. I just make what I'm told to make. And and he he hands them a Polaroid of it, and they like, oh, Jesus. But we don't see what it is uh, quite yet. Not yet, but when we do, that thing's burned in my mind. Yeah, so murder number four is lust. And... uh. It is a knife dick harness, just a whole leather harness with a knife for a dick. And I, I feel like it's specifically designed. We don't see how, thank God, but I feel like it's designed to hurt the person wearing it, too, because he's like screaming, get it off me, get it off me. I don't think there's anything about pain. I think it's just utter trauma that like he made me do this. Well, Oh, that too. Because that, that's what he's saying. Like, he, he made me fuck her. Uh, yeah. And yeah, he's uh, just, he's gone to pieces. Like, this is uh, an absolutely horrifying ordeal he's been through. Uh, not as bad as hers, but, you know, pretty bad. Pretty bad, yeah. He 
the guy John Doe had a gun in his mouth and forced him to fuck her with uh, fuck her to pieces with the knife dick. Yeah. And we see the photo now. Yeah, then we we see it and he's like, he 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 made me wear it, man. Uh, very intense. And and yeah, this is where is, dude is broken. Oh, he he's destroyed. And at it's it's this is about the ninety minute mark, and Somerset turns to Mills and he says, "You know, this isn't going to have a happy ending." <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. Oh, no. And Mills says, "Hey, if we catch him, it'll be happy enough." Uh, uh, well, it turns out. Hey, they catch him. Is it happy I, enough? No. I don't know if it is. It doesn't it does not have a happy ending? No. And and like Mills is trying to challenge Somerset's miserable point of view. Like that's sort of a thing he's constantly doing, and he kind of keeps being proven wrong. Yeah, Mills's whole thing is like he needs the guy to be insane because he his brain or his heart can't handle the fact that someone would do this knowingly and willingly and on purpose i think i think his thing is he doesn't want to believe that there's this much evil in the world yeah he he really has trouble with the idea of just pure unadulterated real evil yeah and, so if you can dismiss that with insanity so that's what he's trying to do yeah and and to be fair as well at night he gets to cuddle with tracy while somerset at night is just knife throwing <laughs> yeah yeah he, He's up all night honing his knife throwing skills. It feels like that. Isn't there a meme like that? Like, you know, while you sleep at night, I'm honing. <laughs> I studied the knife. Yeah. It's like Charles Bronson looking at the Saturn painting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so next day, John Doe calls 911 himself to report murder number five. Pride. I did it again. I did it again. And th- this is the point where Somerset's like, okay, my week is up, but I'm going to stick around and we'll just finish this case and then I'm retiring. He's like, sure, 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 yeah. yeah. You're retiring. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because he, he's been actually technically off of the case for like the first quite a bit of it, and he's just been researching and giving stuff to Mills on his own time. Yeah, he, he kind of rejected the case. But, then, but is doing it anyway. Yeah, he he got roped into it. Yeah, he he can't. So they they go in, or or so the 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 pride murder uh, is this. I, I guess she's a fashion model or something. Yeah, something like that. She had yeah sleeping pills glued to one hand and what is it a knife glued to the other? Yeah, uh, and and it was like a choice between killing herself or disfiguring herself and living with the disfigurement. Uh, so she decided to kill herself. But, you know, she got all disfigured anyway. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, I, I think it was she gets dif- disfigured either way, but she gets to choose yeah. whether she lives or dies with the disfigurement. She chose to die. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's so, yeah, but I, I get it. I get it. I mean, she doesn't have a face anymore. So. Yeah. If you're going to go through an intense ordeal like that, maybe you don't want to go on living, honestly. So. They they head back to the police station and who should show up but John Doe covered in blood. Yeah, and they're they're ignoring him at first because he's just some random dude until he like screams detective and it's well, Kevin Spacey young. It's Kevin Spacey and he's all covered in blood and we are to assume at this point that it's from 
the Pride murder. Yeah. Uh, although we have also heard just as they were coming in before he showed up, and it's easy to forget it in, you know, the the showing up of the main villain. Uh, but they say that oh, we can't get a hold of Tracy. Oh, I did miss that actually. Yeah, uh, they 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 just say that she can't be reached. Uh, we we for some reason we can't seem to get a hold of her. And it's like oh yeah, we'll call her back, and then he sort of gets caught up in the whole thing. Yeah, well you know a big things kind of going on right now. Yeah. So John Doe, he's got no fingertips because he just habitually cuts them off. Hence why no fingerprints in the apartment that he lives at. Yeah, and he's got a deal that he's he's like he already has an off or a, a lawyer who has communicated an offer that he's prepared. This lawyer so reminds me of that guy from The Wire. Yeah. Uh, Slimeball. Uh, oh, I can't remember. Maury something. Maury. Yeah, he, he's very slimy, and his whole thing is he will take the police, but it specifically has to be Mills and Somerset. He'll take yeah. them to the remaining bodies. Yeah, but it's got to be them. It's got to be at this time. And if they don't, and they've got the one chance, and if they don't do it, he'll plead insanity across the board. Yeah, and if they do, he'll give a full confession right now. Yep. Uh, uh, and and also, he has to go with them, of course. Of course, of course. And they're like, well, we know that there's at least one more body, because the blood on them, they, they get back, and it's not from any of the murders we know about. But... Uh, they're also debating because they're like, well, you know, we have enough to put him away anyways. Let's just not play a stupid game. Right. Which I totally get. Although, you know, it, it's it's sort of back and forth with that. Right. Yeah. Like w w what is the just way to go about it? And like then you don't get closure for the remaining one potentially. Yeah. Like the other bodies, like if they do it that way, the other bodies just rot and nobody finds out what happened to him and. Yeah. yeah, what's the right call? Well, the just thing to do is to, you know, try to find where the bodies are. Uh, let yeah. him have his Henry Lee Lucas field trip. Right. Uh, so they wire up. Uh, it's it's their last little bonding scene, which is kind of sweet. Mills almost says something nice, but he can't. <laughs> <laughs> almost. He gets really close to saying something about how he's how he likes him or he's friends with them. And then he can't quite do it. Uh, th there's, there's sort of a strain of him dealing with this toxic masculinity, which mm -hmm. is interesting because he doesn't want to, but like it's ingrained in him. Like you, you see him wanting to reach out and being incapable of it. Uh, Bill's Serpico would have reached out. Serpico would have reached out. Serpico had no toxic masculinity issues at all. That's why this guy can't quite be Serpico. That's right. So they drive out to him or drive out with him to uh, outside of L.A. It's the first time it stopped raining in the movie. Yeah. And it's this really cool, um, like, brown field with all these power lines. It is uh, a long really cool road. location. Um, yeah. This true detective, like, th again, oh. <laughs> we're going back to yes. true detective definitely was inspired by this location, even if. Even though it's a different part of the country, like the presentation of the location. Yeah, 100%. The look of the opening credits to True Detective was inspired by the climax of this movie, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so on their way out there, he talks about all his great work. 
No, I'm not a great person, but I've done a great work. Yeah, trying to <laughs> trying to get us to believe that he doesn't think he's the greatest thing in the world, but he's a narcissist, so he does. Yeah, he's sort of given his bona fides as a missionary serial killer. Because mm-hmm. like uh, he's very clearly missionary. He he's got uh, like all of these people are sinners, and that's why they had to die. Yeah, and he's going to change the world with his great work. Yeah, and they're like, well, what are what of these innocent victims? Like, well, you know, they're and he he says all the things, and like, well, well, she'd rather die than be ugly, and you know, this man was fat and it He's was gross. Fat. <laughs> and, and that's exactly it. It's like innocent. <laughs> this guy was so fat, it's gross. Yeah, he'd put you off your meal if you saw him, and like, it, it's all of this really bullshit. It's like. It's only in a world that's this shitty that they could be considered innocent. And it's like, oh, you're just an awful edge lord. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, he's such an edge lord. Uh, but yeah, uh, they, they they get out there, and uh, a van drives up from over the hill, and you know they they scramble cops like, oh shit, some kind of accomplice maybe, but it's just a delivery driver. Hey, man, he paid me 500 bucks to deliver this box all the way out here, man. I don't know what's in the box. I'm not I don't I'm not going to ask what's in the box. Someone else can ask what's in the fucking box. It's a box for a Detective Mills. Yep. So Mills and uh, Mills and John Doe are like out there, like off quite a ways from the road. They can't see or hear what's happening here. Uh, It's just Morgan Freeman and this van and box. Yeah, and and he's opening the box himself very carefully, and, like, Pitt or Mills is a little ways away, and he's, like, shouting, like, what's going on over there? And once Morgan Freeman looks in, he, like, freaks out. He's like, everybody pull out. He's got – John Doe's got the upper hand here. Mills, throw your gun on the ground right now. And obviously he's like, oh, shit, what is in the box? What is Uh, in the box? The, the the most famous line of the movie, really. Just, whoa, what's, what's in the, in the box? box, man? What's in the box? And of course, John Doe has to give a whole speech about what's in the box. Yeah. Uh, and and of course, it, ultimately, we, we never see it. But it see, is. I thought that was part of the TV edit because that we never saw it. But no, mm. we actually don't see it. Yeah, no, it is never shown. We just uh, we, we are to understand that it is Tracy's head. Uh, and this is the first time that he learns that she was pregnant. Yeah, because uh, he does like this whole rant about like, oh, well, I was envious of her. She begged me to not to kill her or her unborn child. He's like, oh, oh you, you didn't, didn't know. know. Uh, so his plan, his his grand work now to to finally bring it all together is that murders number six and seven are envy and wrath envy for himself uh yep. he he killed the wife and so he has to die for the envy of mills uh and wrath being mills sin yep so, in killing uh, him and destroying yeah, which, himself yeah so they have like this whole thing like don't do it don't do it and and brad pitt like holding the gun and crying it just reminds me of like this meme of like the baby holding the gun and crying and pointing it i don't know if it's that popular of a meme anymore but does not sound familiar to me. Okay, maybe it isn't then. Eventually, he blows them away. Yeah, uh, and I—it's my one of my favorite lines in the movie 
Uh, John C. McGinley, I think. Uh, he's the helicopter guy. John C. McGinley, he was Dr. Cox on Scrubs. It's just a really oh, tiny shit. role in this as one of the SWAT guys. <laughs> I didn't know that was him. Okay. Yeah, but I, I think he's the guy who's flying the helicopter, and he's like, holy shit, he shot him. Holy Christ, somebody call somebody. <laughs> <laughs> somebody call somebody. <laughs> holy Christ, somebody call somebody. That's great. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I guess that closes the seven case. Uh, and uh, Somerset has his last little quote from uh, Ernest Hemingway. The, Ernest Hemingway wrote that the world is a fine place and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. Uh, Which is like, ooh. As, uh, yeah, bleak ending. being taken away. Yeah, it's like, uh, he is going to is... go to jail for the, for probably ever. I don't know if he would necessarily go to jail. His career is over. Yeah. If you're a cop yeah, you're and you right. killed he's a serial a... killer. Yeah, he is he, a cop. He, he's probably not going to jail for that, but he is done. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, his. I, I agree with the second part that, yeah, the world is worth fighting for, but it's not a fine place. <laughs> the world sucks, <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do. That's, that's quite a line. I I. I... That resonates with me a bit more than I want it to. I want to be more optimistic about how the world is, but it's hard. I think I trend more towards the mill's end of the spectrum. I, I do think that this movie is excessively miserable. Like, I love this movie, but it is really miserable, really nihilistic in a way that seems so 90s to me. Like, it feels like a Gen X film. Oh, totally, totally. Yeah, like there's no happiness to be found at the end of the movie. Nobody gets nobody gets anything nice. No, it just does not go well for anybody, which is why I feel like it's weird that they've never done the sequel, considering how successful this movie is. Obviously, the sequel would be Satan. Satan. Oh, my God. Satan. It's about like somebody I would needs to sacrifice Mills to summon Satan. I think John Doe comes back as the devil himself because like he's so absurdly like the, the thing how he's able to put together all of like the wrath and envy thing in like a day after having just met Mills. He's yeah, what was Satan. his original plan for that? I don't know. I assume that he's Satan. So, yeah, <laughs> in the sequel, Satan. I mean, I, they should get on it, really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, maybe recast John Doe, though. Uh, I mean, maybe don't use uh, Kevin Spacey. Yeah, I, I, probably you're not going to come get that back. You know, let me yeah. be devil. Yeah, phenomenal actor, but terrible, <laughs> terrible human being. I mean, he's such a great choice for a villain. He is. He's yeah. he's, he's very villainous. He, he really inhabits the role of a narcissistic creep in this movie. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's, it's a good flick. Uh, it holds up pretty well. It does. I, I wasn't sure how much it was going to, and I was I was kind of groaning through the Nine Inch Nails opening. I was like, "Oh, what have I gotten into?" But yeah, it, hold, it holds up good. It's a real, real good downer. Um, it's fun. Like it's it's extremely bleak and nihilistic, but it's popcorn nihilism. Uh -huh. you know, it, it has a good it has time. Has a big with it. action scene uh, in the middle. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, all, all of the kills, even though it's sort of the, the idea of a slasher film with like there is a slasher movie happening here, but we don't see the kills. We just see the aftermath of them. Oh, yeah, actually. Right? Yeah. 
uh, yeah, an iconic climax, of course. Everybody knows what's in the box. What's in the box? Uh, yeah, pretty great. I mean, like, it's so 90s. It's the 90s-est. I, I was astonished by how 90s it was, quite honestly. Oh, yeah. Very, very 90s. So this is replaced in the stacks with something that's very 80s. Oh. Night of the Comet. Ooh, tell me about one, that. This is the one I really like. Uh, it's uh, a movie where a comet passes over, and anybody who's watching it, I think either they get turned to dust or they turn into zombies. Maybe those are people who only get a little bit of it turn into zombies, and the people who were asleep or like completely untouched by it are the only normal ones left. So it's sort of a last man on earth sort of thing, except there's a few people hanging around dealing with the post-apocalypse. Cool. Cool. It's really good. Uh, it's set in LA. Uh, there it's, it's, uh, you've seen Los Angeles plays itself. The documentary. Yes. Yes. It's the first shots that they use for the post slum clearance bunker Hill are from this movie. Oh, cool. So the, it looks like an artificial city part. It's very interesting. Neat. So any last thoughts on seven before we move on to our second part? One thing that True Detective did not steal from seven, uh, that one gave us a happy ending. That's true. Yeah, th- this is incredibly bleak. I, I was actually kind of shocked by how bleak every element of the ending was, just right down to Somerset's Hemingway quote. Yeah, yeah. In fact, no, his rejection of the Hemingway quote as not bleak enough. Yes. <laughs> great, great. The most 90s. Uh, all right, well, uh, we'll head on to part two. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about David Cronenberg's 1975 film Shivers, also known as They Came From Within, and also known as The Parasite Murders. Oh, those are both better titles than what it's actually called. Uh, there's not a lot of shivering that happens. Shivers. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Just uh, a, a weird title. They do come from within. Um, oh, the parasites don't murder a lot either. Actually, I think the, the main guy kills more people than the parasite does. Yeah, the, 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 the parasites aren't really killing people, although it arguably makes them kill yeah, I mean, it, I guess it it maybe makes it's it's more that it makes them have sex. Makes and them then, have so much sex. <laughs> so much that the, it's deadly. <laughs> I I called them like when they get into like the super horny zombie mode mode. I called them the horny horde. Yeah, they they turn into sex zombies. They do. This is really neat. I think I've only seen a few Cronenberg films. We actually watched. Uh, uh, scanners a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. and i saw his version of the fly and that might be it let me think uh have you seen naked lunch uh, i have not and you never saw like a uh, history of violence or nope. crash never saw see. crash either eastern promises that was kind of a big crossover success Viggo nope. mortensen uh, as a Russian gangster. Oh, interesting. No, I never saw that. Videodrome, The Dead Zone? With uh, Christopher Walken? Uh, that sounds familiar, but I'm not sure. 
It's uh, based on a Stephen King book where Christopher Walken has psychic visions. Uh, well, I'm halfway convinced Christopher Walken <laughs> has psychic visions anyway. But uh, yeah, no, I haven't seen that either. Oh, interesting. There, there's even like that's one that Christopher Walken has parodied on SNL. <laughs> I, oh, I remember really? a, a really famous one where uh, he just uh, he has premonitions of just really mild things. <laughs> it's like you're gonna eat your ice cream too fast you're gonna get a headache real bad right here <laughs> whereas you know in, in the dead zone he's always having visions of apocalypse and people dying right pretty good movie <laughs> the the original right it's on. fun yeah so this kind of low on the special effects uh it's just got like compared to say the fly and compared to scanners but Right, this is uh, his first film. Yeah. And, like, you can see from here, it, it like, it looks like a first film, but you can definitely see how this leads uh, into that. Because there's, like, a lot of... Yeah. Yeah, right from the start, you can see that Cronenberg was heading to extreme body horror and that he was going to innovate it. Because no one else was really doing anything like this yet. Yeah, the, the monsters themselves are pretty simple, but they're just gross enough. I think they're just like sea cucumbers. Something like that. They they do seem like they're just a simple thing, but like it, it's more what it does to the people and, and the the uh, damage to bodies that they cause. Yeah, yeah. There's some gross stuff uh, when these things are getting around in people's bodies. Uh, well, let's let's get into it. So we open with an advertisement for the Starliner Apartments with 15 floors and it's got its own shop and it's got. It's got its own uh, hospital, I believe. Cause yeah, they're, its own. <laughs> they're on their own little least. island. Yeah, it's basically completely self-sufficient. You're only 13 miles away or you're only 13 kilometers away from downtown Montreal, but you've got everything you need right here. So I actually looked up the Starliner Apartments the other night were actually, uh, I can't remember what they're called in reality, but I looked up the building or at least the address where they shot this. And uh, it, it is recognizably still the same place uh, and not all that expensive, honestly. Consider. Yeah, you were saying. Like uh, the, it, it ranges from just under a thousand a month to just under two thousand a month for like a two person thing. Not bad, honestly. That's less than what I pay for my current place. Although, to be fair, Victoria's uh, housing or rental prices, every price is just fucking god-awful. Yeah, that's true. Oh, my God, gas is... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's the highest... We, we have the highest gas prices in all of Canada currently. It's great. Oh, Love that's that. awesome. That rules. We're number one. It's what two forty a liter. Ah, uh, it's disgusting. It. And these are nice apartments too. Like, yeah, <laughs> this advertisement has kind of actually has kind of sold me on it. Well, sure. I mean, they were they were luxury apartments in the seventies, so they're maybe not as high end as like a modern luxury apartment, but they're still better than the average apartment you get in Victoria, which are all like basement suites and houses. Yeah, exactly. And we uh, we start on a couple who's just arriving and just wants to move in. 
and I thought that the, this was going to be our main couple. These guys aren't actually anything. There's not really any main character in this movie, honestly. Uh, the Doctor. Eh, the I, doctor I feel like it's crime solver. Sort of. It, it seems like more of just a general ensemble. We're we're seeing the infection spread and everything go wrong. Yeah, we we do spend more time with some characters than others, but no, there's not really a clear-cut main character. Hmm. Um, but here's two people who aren't main characters. Uh, we've got a schoolgirl and a murder geezer. While the uh, the manager is showing this couple the apartment and while they're talking about it, it's intercut with this guy just viciously strangling this uh, schoolgirl. Yeah, it's not really clear what their relationship is. It sort of seems that initially like it's some sort of weird domestic disturbance. Yeah, um, the way the guy was like going after her, though, I, I thought I was watching a rape scene at first. Mm -hmm. uh, not this time. <laughs> Other times, but not this time. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a sexual element to it because there's sort of a sexual element to everything in this movie. Just sex mm -hmm. is in the air. Oh, yeah. Um, the way he like, like after he strangles her, the way he rips her uh, shirt open, uh, I thought he was going to fuck the corpse. But no, he does an operation. Yeah, he's cutting the thing out of her. Uh, yeah. Which because so the, the ultimately we will learn much later that he is the guy who started this. Like this is his fault. Yeah, this is his fault. He is Dr. Hobbs. Uh, who has, or thought he had, uh, created a solution to organ transplants in the form of a parasite that consumes the organ and then replaces it with itself. Yeah, it, it replaces the organ uh, and acts as an organ uh, by just sort of devouring it and then or I don't think it even so much devours the previous organ so much as it uh, becomes it because the other one has failed and it absorbs the stuff that it would normally absorb. Mm -hmm. There's a lot wrong with his design, though. And yeah. of course, the creature gets out because every time there's a creature, it will get out. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's the Jurassic Park thing, of course. But life uh, uh, finds a way. Exactly. Yeah, we don't really get to see what what he's doing with this girl after he's cutting her open, but he's pouring like boiling water into the wound. Is uh, it boiling water or is it like uh, an acid? Like, I think he might be just pouring acid. It could an acid. be an acid, actually. Because like, he's trying to kill the thing he put in her. Yeah. And uh, so I, I cannot remember exactly how it pans out. Is it, did she get it from him sexually or did she, did he implant it in her as part of an experiment? It's implied that he had a sexual relationship with her. Yes. Um, it does not say that that's how she got the parasite, but he it's did. It's how she transmitted it, though. It's how she, it is how she transmitted it, because he didn't know that uh, she was. She was with other people. Yeah, that she was, as they say, popular in the apartment building. Yes. Although that could be the parasite making her that way. It could be very likely. Uh, in fact, it's very likely. Yeah, as we will learn later, that's one of its key things that it does. Mm -hmm. But I, I guess that's the other factor of this is this kind of vaguely seems like a swingers community. Kind of. It's always just kind of in the background and just slowly sort of bubbles forward into the foreground because of this parasite. 
Well, it's interesting to me, and it's kind of great for a contrast to Seven in this sense, because it's very 70s in a way that is extremely distinct and very mm-hmm. mid-70s in the same way that Seven is right at the middle of the 90s. We got a 95 and a 75. And, oh, yeah. And and how Seven is just like completely drowning in the weird sort of hopelessness and miser- miserableism except as popcorn entertainment uh shivers has this whole it's the hangover of free love thing where it's just completely drowning in sex but it's really anxious about the idea you know (laughs) like sex is sort of everywhere and everyone's still doing this but it's like i have some serious questions about that Mm, yeah Uh... which feels really interesting for its point in time being right between the free love 60s and the AIDS 80s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I thought there was like an AIDS parallel with this, but this would have been before that. Yeah, and I, I think that's really interesting that he kind of, like, I don't want to say he predicted AIDS, but yeah. it does sort of feel like he was ahead the head of the curve feeling like something is coming along down the pipe to sort of uh put an end to this whole free love thing it it feels like he saw that something was coming along of a biological nature Uh Uh Uh, in in the same sense as that pandemic movie that came out a fucking decade ago that everyone watching the pandemic is like oh god it's exactly this oh what was that movie i don't remember ah fuck i even saw it when it came out and didn't like it (laughs) uh I cannot remember. I, I think it was Quarantine. No, it definitely isn't Quarantine. That's a completely no, different that's movie. A, oh, that movie was cool, though. <laughs> no, or the, the, that, the original version of that movie was yeah. cool. Yeah, Record or Wreck is Wreck. great. Yeah. Quarantine is the bad remake. Uh, uh, I, hmm, I'll figure it out. Uh, it'll, it'll come back. And most notably... After doing this whole operation and trying to kill the parasites and pouring the boiling whatever into the girl, uh, Dr. Ben slices his own throat. Yeah, well, I, so my, my assumption, I guess, is that he knows that he infected her with it. Mm, yeah, or that he got infected with it from her? No, because he know, he created it. Yeah, he created it. So he has to know that he probably gave it to her and like realizing how bad it is. Like he, he's starting to see her uh, succumbing to whatever the thing is everyone is succumbing to later in the movie. Uh, I, I would have to assume that he realizes that it's happening to her and that's probably happening in him. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm going to end it here. I don't want this getting out further. It's just he does not realize that it's already gotten out further. Yeah, he he doesn't seem to be aware that the uh, I call them the spleens. Yeah, they, uh, they're the sp- they're like little gross spleens running around. Yeah. Yeah, he he doesn't seem to be aware that they are mobile and they can slither around. Right. Uh, by the way, the movie I was thinking of is Contagion from oh. 2011. It doesn't ring a bell. Yeah. Maybe I haven't seen it. It was it was popular at the time. It has Jude Law as mm. uh a journalist who's like studying the thing. And I don't know. I found it really obnoxious and preachy, even though it was sort of right about certain things. It feels morally preachy rather than 
like I, I, I agree with it in, in a pandemic sense. It was pretty right on those factors. It's just it, it seems to have a whole judgment against a cheating woman tied up as the whole uh, oh. root of the thing, which is like weird. I don't know. Yeah, we don't need that. <laughs> yeah, not a fan. No, not really. Yeah, so now we go to another person who you could make a case as our main character, but not really. Uh, we got Nick. He would be, if this were a zombie movie, which it kind of is, he'd be yeah. the guy who got bit and doesn't tell anybody. Yeah. Uh, Nick is weird. <laughs> Just Nick Nick's whole, to... Nick's energy is weird. Yeah. I think ultimately Nick is on Team Parasite. Yeah. Um, he's like the perfect host. Oh, he super is. We see he's in the bathroom and he's sick with something. And he's playing with these uh, tummy bulges that doesn't <laughs> seem to be too <laughs> bothered by it, despite the fact that he's clearly ill. Um, his wife is super bothered by it and really wants him to go to the doctor. And he's like, no, I'm going to go to work. Yeah, uh, gross. Uh, just key early Cronenberg body horror. Just uh, mm-hmm. bulging bits of body where, like, your body just starts pumping up and out for no conceivable reason. It's like, oh, that's so uncanny and grotesque. Oh, yeah, we're going to be seeing a lot of that with, with this guy. I uh, mean, you're going to see a lot of that throughout the entire Cronenberg career. <laughs> yeah that, that's true but nick isn't going to work uh he is actually going up the elevator what could he be doing well he's he's heading for a tryst with the girl we saw die yeah he's you know uh so maybe his which of course leads uh, a lot of more credence to the idea that this could be a swinger place and he looks like a swinger dude yeah a Montreal swinger. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember, this is going a while back, there there was a movie I watched called Sex and the Office Girl that was a movie uh, confiscated by the Montreal police as obscene. No. The Montreal swinger office party where there's like the one secretary who isn't into it and they all decide, well, she, we're going to make her into it. Very weird, troubling movie, but ultimately she ends up being the dom over all of them. Of course. Uh, but Montreal swingers, you know, lots of shag carpeting and people who look like this guy. Yeah, this guy has... I, I, I thought that I had seen him in something else before, but this guy just has that look that a lot of people in this era had. Hmm. So he is on his way up to uh, Annabelle, our murdered school schoolgirl. By the way, she's 19. Oh, hey. We learn. You know something else you've seen him in? What's that? Seven. <laughs> no shit. He was in Seven? He's the forensic guy on the scene. At uh, I, I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page, and it's one of his best-known roles, apparently. Uh, really? One of his top features he's the in in eli gould's office he's the guy that uh brad pitt shoes out of the office no kidding yeah huh. I mean, that's hilarious yeah right on so yeah nick sees the whole murder scene uh and goes to throw up nick does a lot of throwing up yeah and, and uh rather than call the police because because you know 
then he has to do the whole thing of explaining, well, what's he doing in the school girl's apartment to begin with? Uh, he just decides to go to work. He should have just paid a junkie. He should have just paid a junkie. But yeah, he unexpectedly goes to work. His secretary is like, what the fuck are you doing here? You said you weren't coming in today. He, and he, yeah, he basically just walks right by her and locks himself up in his office because he is not supposed to be at work. He is sick as fuck. And yeah. He just witnessed a murder. Yeah. I mean, it seems like he is going into a fugue state, like he should be looking at Saturn devouring his son in the office all day. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's we don't get to good look in his office. Maybe that's in there. Maybe. Maybe. Or <laughs> just Saturn devouring like an eggplant, like a red egg squirmy eggplant. Full of tentacles and stuff. Yeah. I maybe maybe he's like uh, it's too early. It's 75. And I was going to say, uh, you know, he's watching a VHS of Legend of the Overfiend. <laughs> Just like zoning out. Yep. Uh, so the one who finds the body and does call the police is the guy who I think is our main character, uh, Dr. Roger St. Luke, the guy who runs the uh, the clinic in the apartment uh, complex. Right. And... Uh, He's the one who called the police. They ask him some questions. He was here because uh, the doctor, uh, the murder doctor, Hobbs, uh, called him here to discuss. Well, he doesn't know what he wanted to discuss because Hobbs went and killed himself. Yeah, he's dead. Uh, But he gets a phone call from this mutual friend of his and Hobbs, uh, a guy who I didn't catch his name, but the the guy with the pickle. The pickle guy. I, kinda, I, I love this guy. <laughs> he kind of has like a bit of a Jeff Goldblum energy. Yeah, I, I just find this guy's energy really funny. Like he has uh, like his voice is incredible. He's got that really, really low voice. Yeah, he he knows what Hobbs has been working on. Um, and he's the one who knows all about how it's an organ parasite to, uh, you know, to help with organ transplants. So you don't always have to wait for a transplant. Really good idea, except. You know, they're sentient. Yeah. Interesting concept, like like a, a, a very solid body horror concept that starts uh-huh. from sort of a logical place of where science would actually reasonably be creating something. Yeah, but still something that like, even if it's working properly, you'd have a hard time getting some people on board with this thing. Yeah, no, uh, it's gross. Yeah. It's, it's like, hey, would you like to remove? To take out your uh, old, dead, not working organ and replace it with parasite that does the same thing, you won't even notice that you got a parasite in you. Maybe they need to market it different. Well, sure. Uh, you just need the body melt team, Vimyville. But <laughs> it, it, I, I get it though because you know it's for life saving procedures, so it, it does sort of track that. You know, people be like, yeah, it's a parasite, but. It's life or death. death. Yeah. 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 And uh and yeah, I guess uh, Hobbs was supposed to tell Goldblum and uh Dr. Roger about this thing, but he went and killed himself instead. Yeah. Uh we you cut think to... he could have at least left a note. Yeah, something be like, Hey <laughs> actually, yeah, that would have solved so much. Like, hey, uh Sorry, I killed myself. Here's why I did it. Here's what you guys got to do. Uh, I fucked up real bad. 
like I guess the problem is he assumed that it hadn't gotten out past him and the girl. Right. I, I, I have to assume that he figured it was just the two of them not knowing that the girl was also sleeping with Nick and yeah. maybe others. Uh, he sl- she slept with Nick. Uh, we find out she slept with a guy, an old dude called Brad later. Right. Yeah. And slept with uh, Dr. Hobbs. And I think mm-hmm. there was one other person because they mentioned yeah. three or four people that she slept with. Right. I thought so. Uh, so she's been passing it around. Oh, the, yeah. The parasite, I should say. Not not I, I, I'm not making a judgment call on her. No, no, it's <laughs> just she she literally has this parasite that unbeknownst to her is an STD. It's an STD. It's uh, it can transmit via sex. It can transmit via uh, bursting out of your mouth and crawling into somebody else's mouth. Uh, I, I guess when you're far enough along. But yes, highly transmittable. And uh, it is interesting that it, uh, it it creates horniness in the person so that uh, to propagate itself. Uh, so rather yeah. than people feeling sick, they get sexually voracious. Mm-hmm. It's like the perfect parasite. I admire <laughs> it, don't you? I admire yeah. its purity. I, I watched Alien just the, the other week. Yeah. It, 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 there's a conversation in this that does feel a lot like that. Although mm. they're munching on pickles and stuff and it's, it's <laughs> down to earth. Yeah. Uh, so Nick has been doing nothing at work. He's just been <laughs> sitting in his office being sick, staring straight ahead and uh, bleeding from the mouth. I'm also not really clear what it is he does. He's an insurance claims guy. Oh, yeah. OK. But he's he, he's being cagey with his wife. Like his wife's like, oh, can I call you at the office? I won't be at the office. I'll be at my secret tryst. I mean, I'll be adjusting going out on the road, adjusting all these insurance claims because that's what I do. Not secret trysts. Right. I mean, ultimately, that's why he's at work is because he would be caught in a lie if he went back home. Yeah. And he's too sick to just actually go out driving. Yeah. Um, ultimately, he decides he does decide to go home because he's too sick. Uh, the secretary is like, well, I'll get you a doctor. He's like, no, 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 no doctors. They'll take away my fun tumors. So Nick's wife, who has been worried about him, but he won't tell her anything. Janine. Uh, she's Janine. Yes. Uh, she's talking to the doctor and trying to kind of get him to go up to the apartment to see Nick because Nick won't go down to see him. And the doctor's like, yeah, sure, I'll do this. While meanwhile, Nick is freaking puking gross shit into a bathtub. Oh, and, and it's moving. It's moving. And it's not the right color. Oh. So the, the blood in this is interesting because the blood trails left behind by the parasites. Really gross and oh, so squicky and I love it. Cronenberg is an absolute expert at making everything look the most disgusting it can possibly look. But sometimes when somebody's bleeding, it's like still that obvious, like from the 60s and yeah, the 70s, that red stuff. paint. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just weird because like the entrails of the bo- or the, the trail of the monster look so gross. I just wish he used whatever he used for that for the rest of the blood. 
Right. I, I mean, I guess to some extent it's probably just budget restrictions because this is oh, probably. This a small is gonna... Canadian independent picture. Oh, yeah. And, and like you, it, it shows a lot of a lot of the shots, like the framing of the shots are and the lighting are Canadian independent picture uh, shots. Yeah, um, it doesn't have the polish of, say, scanners, which is a few years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it weren't for the horror, this would look the horror stuff looks really good. Everything with the monster and like the body horror. But every time none of that's on the screen, it, you know, it looks like an independent Canadian film. Yeah, it, it looks grungy. It looks grimy. I, I, it kind of almost adds to it, honestly. It has oh, yeah. that sort of, especially it being mid-70s, it has that particular 70s film stock that looks kind of greasy in a weird sort of way. And you have all that shag carpeting. I love the look of the Starliner apartments with how incredibly 70s they are. It it kind of reminds me of like, like, like this is definitely another one where the apartments are, or like the setting is as much a character mm-hmm. as the characters. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the Overlook Hotel in that regard. Yeah, it, it's a good isolated horror location. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and like, especially isolated because this is sort of like a gated community on uh, its own personal mini island. Yeah, with all the amenities, so presumably people don't don't come and go as often as they would, like, say, a regular apartment. Well, someone says something like uh, it, 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 there is some legal requirement that they had to have the doctor and staff on call because they're on a separate island. Oh, inter- I, I missed that detail. I think it's but... much later on when they're talking when, when they're trying to figure out how to get out of there that it comes up and it's like well we we don't need that stuff it's there's no necessity to have an outside line because we uh we're supposed to have all of this stuff local mm-hmm. not sure yeah i don't know yeah uh so so here's my favorite part uh while nick is being all sick and gross he leans out onto his balcony and we just oh. see this woman walking by <laughs> with an with one of those clear plastic umbrellas and you know what's going to happen. It's just almost, waiting for it. It's like slapstick suspense. It's really funny. Just And she's this very doddering old woman and she's being led by this other woman. <laughs> yep. And he just... And he's just like... The it, look on his face when he's vomiting out these things. It, it almost looks like he's aiming like he's like i wonder if i can hit her yeah he's like (laughs) and he does we see just this like big red mark just appear from the underside of the umbrella and this woman's like oh no a bird flew into the umbrella and killed itself oh no No, she she thinks it flew into one of the windows and then this is like the oh and then it fell onto yeah that like yeah it's it's the squished bird from its impact you know, the windows trick the birds, you see. Which is not wrong. I've seen it's, that happen. Oh, it definitely happens. We see these spleen creature things slither away in the grass into a grate. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's it's into the sewer system now. That's that's real good. Uh, yep. And, oh, whoa, uh, we get a spleen attack right away. It attacks Laundry Lady Doris. In the uh, in the laundromat. Oh yeah, 
So in a laundromat that gets it. And we never really catch up with that. I think she's the one later on who called the room service guy and she's like, I'm hungry for love. Okay, yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, because it attacks her. And of course, you're just assuming that she's going to die because that's what happens normally in these movies. But no, it just makes you horny. It just makes you horny. But it also uh, like seriously burns your skin if you get in contact with it. Right. Well, there's there's a lot of things that go wrong. You you get kind of messed up by it. You become a sex zombie. Uh, yes. It's it's the the Jeffrey Dahmer special. It's the Ugh. fucking Ugh. chlorine into the brain or whatever. Uh, yeah, he really did that. Sorry, so, seven has me in a serial killer kind of mind. <laughs> no, that, that's that's fine. <laughs> uh, so. Uh, we've got Dr. St. Luke, because uh, he doesn't know that he has to solve the crimes yet, uh, just examining patients. And he, we see him examine Brad, patient number, uh, victim number two, uh, who's got the weird tummy lumps that, that Nick had. And he mentions that he got them from Annabelle, the sexy schoolgirl in apartment 1511. Yeah, so she's really been getting around. Uh, and and he's like an older dude, just yeah, like this guy's like seventy ish. He he looks very old, uh, and just he he looks like an old swinger type. He does. He he has that very seventies look as well. But he he looks like the guy who's too old to be at the party, and he's dressed like he's much younger than he should be in a weird sort of way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we see him every time we see him in the waiting room. He's like talking to all these different people about, oh, well, science is saying it might be possible to stop aging altogether, you know. You know, what he reminded me of is the pianist in Phantom of the Mall, the very oh. proper pianist who gets uh, mauled by the thing. And then like he's bleeding horribly most of the time because like he's secretly been stealing at night. But He's hiding his wounds while he's still out there playing the piano. This guy has that kind of feeling to him. Kind of, yeah. He, he, uh, he describes her weird stomach tumors as sexy. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's got his brain, too, at this well, point, yeah. I figure. Yeah, I, absolutely. And, and I, I feel like they almost exude a sort of pheromone or something. Mm-hmm. We cut to the wife getting home and finding Nick passed out by the fridge, and we see a uh, tumor blood smear sort of thing going up to the mail slot of their apartment. <laughs> yeah, it got out. <laughs> it got out. <laughs> it, it, it scares two children uh, as they're going. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is we this... get a POV. Yeah. Uh, we, we've got these two children going up and down the halls, like opening people's mail slots and screaming into them. <laughs> and they There's not one. a lot to do in a swinger apartment building for kids. No, no. And, and they open one up and it's the spleen monster. Ah. That's funny. That's just funny. Uh, it is. Uh, have you ever seen the movie The Ice Storm, the Ang Lee film? I don't think so. It's uh, a great movie about a swinger key party uh, that just there. There's tragedy on the on the verges of it uh, oh. during an ice storm, of course. Of course. Uh, 
and, and it, it it's always heavily in my mind when I'm watching this movie because this feels like the same community of people uh, and, and just these children who are just living on the edge, just totally neglected and doing bizarre things like screaming into mail slots because they have nothing at all to do. <laughs> See, it's this scene with these kids that reminded me of the Overlook and little, um, oh God, what's the kid's name with his uh, tricycle thing going down the halls? Danny. Yeah. Danny, yeah. Uh, like, cause what well, else are you going to do? Not only that, that reminds me of The Shining. And then later on, when someone's got the kids on a leash, uh, reminds me of The Shining with the the, the fur suit and the, the, the fur suit blowjob. Both of them oh, are similarly yeah. shocking images. Yeah. <laughs> So the wife has taken Nick to his bed, and when she leaves the room, we see him talking to his tumors that are moving around in his tummy. Like, here, boy, come on, fella, here, boy. Oh, that's a good boy. Um, gross. Yeah, real gross. And yeah, here's where they're like really bubbling and bulging and moving around. And this is just a really gross, good, good gross shot. Yeah, a classic Cronenberg uh, body horror. Lots of just bulging bits. Ew. Mm-hmm. Just like, what if your skin could bubble up like a fucking boiling Ooh. cauldron? Like, sure, let's see that. Ew, I don't yeah, want to see yeah. that again. <laughs> <laughs> this part made me laugh because they, they hide when the wife comes back. Oh, room. yeah. <laughs> They're like, oh, party's over. Wife's here. They know. They're smarter than him. They're smarter than Nick. Yeah. And they're the brains of the operation. They are. It's just that their job is to turn everyone else's brains to fucking. Yeah. I mean, that's already what Nick was doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if he was a swinger. Well, he would have had to have been a swinger before he got the parasites because. Yeah, that's how he Otherwise, he couldn't it. have gotten the parasites from her. Yeah, I mean, I don't think Janine knew. No, no, she didn't know. Yeah, I I don't get the impression that she was aware that she was living a swinger lifestyle, but he knew. Oh, yes. Which, again, Uh, a a lot of this feels like the AIDS thing. Uh, It's it's really weird how prescient it feels in that regard. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the AIDS crisis wasn't like another 10 years off, was it? Yeah, basically. Something something like that. And yeah, she does her whole like, why won't you let me help you uh, thing to with Nick, who's not interested. Relationship ended with with wife uh, now in a relationship with uh, moving stomach spleens. Yeah. Wasn't there a Futurama episode like that? Probably. Where uh, Fry got stomach parasites from uh, a, a truck stop sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> And it made him much smarter, and it also made Leela fall in love with him. Oh, boy. Yeah. I uh, don't remember that one. But I didn't see much of Futurama after it got revived. I only I, really saw the older ones. I think it was one of the older ones. I feel that oh, okay. those original four. It could I have could been. Do I, I did not see much of the revival seasons either, quite honestly. I watched one of the two. Or one of the three? <laughs> oh, yeah, there was a bunch of movies, too. I saw at least one of those. I never saw any of the movies. There were three of them. I think uh, I saw two of them, come to think of it. But, uh, anyway. Hmm. Oh, now it's time for... Oh, I didn't mention uh, Lesbian Wine Lady yet. Uh, is that Betts, played by Barbara uh, Steele? The great Barbara Steele. I didn't catch her name, but uh, 
I think so. She she's the black haired lady who's uh, Janine's yeah. friend. Yes. Uh, Barbara Steele, she is like a real classic gothic horror actress, like major in a lot of like the major uh, classic Italian gothic horrors like Nightmare Castle. Oh, okay, because she has that look. Yeah, she's got such an intense face. Even when she's like (laughs) even when she's just in the dark room with like her bathrobe on, she might as she looks like she might as well be wearing a vampire dress. Yeah, she's so intense. She's got just so much uh, horror energy. She's my favorite. Uh, she, oh, and, and uh, I didn't mention it, but she's the one who gave Janine the idea to just get the doctor to visit Nick without Which him is the right, about it. The, the right choice. Yep. But then she also very uh, unsubtly asked Janine for a date afterwards. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's free. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> Nick's, Nick's sick. Nick's not yeah, Nick's well. sick. And, uh, you know, come join me for wine. I always order enough food for two. So, you know, you know, just, just come on. Yeah, come on over. Come and knock on my door. Come and <laughs> knock on my door. Oh, my God. This might even predate that. I believe it does. Yeah. Holy uh, shit. I, Three's Company is later 70s, going into the early 80s, I want to say. Mm. I'll look it up. 77, two years later. We've been waiting for you. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, lesbian wine lady. Uh, Yeah, you're right. It is Betts. Betts. Barbara Steele. Uh, She rules. mm -hmm. Uh, She's getting into the bathtub uh, to, to, you know, to get ready for her hot date with Janine. And it's the cover art. Oh, oh, shit. Yeah, so it is. I didn't recognize (laughs) that that's her because she has black hair and in the cover art she's blonde. Yeah, it does not look like her, but. I, they probably couldn't get the, uh, you know, the, the likeness rights for the cover art or something. Ah, oh, man. Licensing and likeness rights. Yeah. So over my head. I, I don't cannot. know either. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just have to believe you because I don't know. I, I don't know either, but I would have to assume <laughs> that that's why. Because she it doesn't look anything like her. And she's the most iconic face in the movie. So, yeah. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So she's in the bath getting ready for her hot date but the bathtub drain plug is rattling uh, it's one of those little spleen things ew a spleen thing comes up from the bathtub drain plug and crawls up her yeah uh like you would expect would have to happen in this sort of film and they don't show it they just imply it <laughs> so they, they do show the bathtub water getting all bloody. Yeah. Ugh. And and her like screaming and struggling until she stops. Yeah, until uh, it it takes control or whatever, or she submits to it. Yeah. Um. I, I like the bit where she's getting out and she's like she dropped the wine glass because of course she takes her wine into the bathtub with her, which you know when you're a wine, wine lady, this is what you do. Yeah. Wine oh, sure. That's classic. Oh, yeah. Uh, and she steps like barefoot onto the broken wine glass. Like, like it's not even a thing. And I was like, OK, she's possessed. Uh, yeah. Great scene, though. Great scene. Barbara Steele totally rules. Just a uh, tremendous horror energy. One, one of the all timers. Yeah. Dr. Roger, uh, having finished all of his exams of the patients, is on the phone with uh, the Goldblum guy. Hmm. While the nurse is trying to seduce him, and Goldblum is like, "Hey, so, 
So uh, turns out that Dr. Hobbs was into some really crazy stuff. He actually, the parasites were actually part of his crazy sex fantasy. He wanted to turn the world into a mindless orgy. Um, so if you see anybody like suddenly being overtly sexual, uh, watch out because that's one of the parasites. And while he's having this phone call, the nurse is like stripping down in front of him and like getting changed, like fully naked, uh, kissing him. And he's and not stuff. getting it. He's not getting it. It's, he's it's not just getting not it. Clicking. <laughs> no. Uh, Michael Sarah comes by like from the and, and he's got like a small mustache like in season three of Rest of Relevance. <laughs> OS overtly sexual. <laughs> well, he's not getting it because the two are actually dating. So he right. thinks she's being normal. And honestly, I don't think she's infected at this point yet. Yeah, no, I, I think she's just they're they're just playful. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that, that's the thing, like, it doesn't occur to him, and all of this stuff is just kind of going over his head, even though he is the doctor and he's the first line of seeing it happen, because this is such an overtly sexual environment, because it's this whole swinger building. Yeah, I mean, he's swinging with his nurse. Yeah. Well, I don't know if they're swinging, but he's banging the nurse. Right. I mean, it, it is kind of weird that they are a couple, and even though they have this professional relationship as well. Who knows which came first? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. We don't find out. So the next person to get got is the room service guy. Because I guess the you can just order in this apartment, you can order room service from the restaurant that's part of the building. Makes sense. Which, man, well, because it's, it's self-sufficient. You, you, you have to drive 13 minutes to get to, or is, isn't it 13 kilometers to get to yeah, Montreal? Yeah, 13 kilometers, yeah, so... Man, I just wish I could push a button and get room service. Well, I guess with our phones and food delivery services. You basically can. But I, wish, can. I wish it was part of the house. Yeah. I wish the guy had a tuxedo. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you want to live in like a, a classic 50s uh, high-end hotel. That, that's the, the sort of ideal lifestyle. Maybe. Not so much the modern one. The modern, it's, no, it's not, not as good. One. No, no. But you, you want to have like classic where it was cool when in like like we were talking about in the 2001 episode, the 60s Pan Am era of travel. Oh, yeah. Where traveling was cool and it wasn't hell. Yeah. And like and you it, actually wanted like, to get on an airplane. Right. There, it was comfort oriented and they, they really uh, it, it was all about the experience. Because there's just such heavy competition. Yeah, and now it's about jamming as many people as you can into the flying sardine can. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, and competition, I mean, there there's lots of them. <laughs> I don't know. But they get bailouts <laughs> if anything goes wrong. So oh, sure. it needs competition. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no penalty for failure. Well, I mean, you know, people will associate your name with a crash for a while. <laughs> it's, uh, we're oh, way yeah, out of the topic can... of... <laughs> airline <laughs> politics but yeah, yeah. goddamn thing yeah so this guy is this poor food delivery guy just wants to deliver his food but he's hearing ominous uh, chanting from down the hall i'm hungry for love i'm <laughs> hungry for love <laughs> he just walks by this door this old woman just opens it and pulls him in she's like i'm hungry for love and 
that's <laughs> he's taken. He's taken. He, he's he's part of it now. I mean, he was in the building. It was going to happen sooner or later. Oh, sure. So we cut to the news. The nurse preparing for the food that she preparing the food she's going to make for the doctor on their uh, date when he's finally done doing all of his doctor shit for the whole apartment building. It's a lot and of stuff. It's a lot of stuff, especially since, uh, you know, he's the one who's going to end up having to solve this crime because since the police don't seem to give a shit. Well, I mean, he'll solve it by it overrunning him. You know, like he, he's yeah. not really going to solve it either. No, no. So this guy busts into her apartment, this blue shirt dude, who I I forgot to check, but I think he might be the guy uh, from the couple at the beginning who was looking to rent the apartment. That uh, seems reasonable, the yeah. Because yeah, otherwise, for, for start. yeah, because otherwise we haven't seen this guy at all. Right. Uh, I mean, that's possible as well because we yeah. know there is a whole apartment building full of people. But yeah, I think it very likely could be the dude from the couple at the start. Yeah, he because I know they do show up again for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they're definitely parasited when they do. Yes, for sure. So, yeah, he he tries to rape her and she stabs him with one of the turkey forks. You know, the one. Yeah. Uh, the, the two fork stabby turkey thing. I don't eat meat. I don't know what it is. It's a big fork. Yeah. Meat fork or a carving fork. And then she, like, flees the apartment after stabbing the dude and finds the doctor in the hall and tells them all about it. And then when the doctor comes onto the scene, dude is gone. But the, He uh, done the, run off. He done run off, but the wrong colored fleshy chunks uh, that Janine found in the bathroom are on the floor here. Those, Ugh. <laughs> uh, those gross, that gross brownie color. Ugh. So gross. The next person to get attacked is the old lady with the cane. Uh, this is this is the umbrella lady from before. Right. And she's walking down the hall with her cane. And the thing's like like going along the floor and crawling up her cane. <laughs> it's it's very funny that she basically gets attacked by it. Like she gets attacked by a rat. Like th- this is a, a sort of a, a New York 80s tenement nightmare of someone getting attacked by a rat, except it's oh, a Oh, God, loose it totally is. Fucking... <laughs> except, like, a loose monster spleen. <laughs> How does the spleen like, propel itself? Get off of there, get! No, no! No, no, stop curling up there! Get it off of me! Get it off her of ar- me! <laughs> her arguing with it, it's, it's funny because it is absurd, but it's also very real, because it's like, yeah, you know, some old lady had this gross weird thing trying to get up her cane she would probably go at it like this it, it would be funny to watch it even though it would also be horrifying and it gets on her arm and she's got like these horrible burn marks right right this is how we learn that it burns you up if it doesn't infest you yeah yeah it's got like some kind of i don't know like acid coating on it it's really well they- it's like the alien organism. They, they, like you were saying, they have that conversation about oh, how shit. it's the perfect organism. It's got the acid for blood. It's got the whole deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know why the doctor thought first. blood acid was necessary, but hey. <laughs> oh, I know why blood acid is necessary to dissolve the dead organ so that it can replace it. Because they do mention how it dissolves the organ. Oh my god, yeah. this is like. This is scientifically apt. Everything has an explanation except for why they think. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, 
cause, cause body horror. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so yeah, they they managed to get the get the spleen back onto the cane, which they dump it into the garbage chute. Uh, mm-hmm. The room service guy gets on an elevator with a mom and a daughter. Uh, That's creepy. Know, he's parasited, so this is going to get real gross. We don't see uh, it, fortunately. No, we don't. We, we just but, uh, we just see the thing like him being creepy. Uh, in in the elevator with them. Oh, uh, holding like the pie or the pastry or whatever, so that the red mm-hmm. oozes out. Ugh. And like, is that cherry or is it blood or is it some gross combination? I don't want to know. Probably all of the above. <laughs> it's it's spleen monster. It's a spleen <laughs> monster pie. <laughs> <laughs> Hot so and fresh. <laughs> so Janine goes to check up on Nick again and. Wouldn't you know it? He's feeling all better. This is where he goes into his whole, make love to me, Janine. You're my (laughs) wife. You must make love to me. And he starts vibrating. And the thing comes out of him. (laughs) Yeah, the thing comes out of his mouth. And she's like, "Uh, I'll be right back. I just got to put my contacts in so that I can see you while I'm making love to you. Yeah, I really want to make sure that I can see what's going on here. And he's just like vibrating and going, oh, his eyes Uh, rolling in the back of his head. Make love to me. He looks like, you know, it was a briefly viral clip uh, from, I think it was an Indonesian movie called Karate Girl. And it was just a, a really ridiculous death scene where a guy gets hit and he has the same hairstyle as Nick. And he just like gets punched and flies across the room and he makes the same face. <laughs> and it's like super slow motion, but it's exaggerated. It's like him pretending to do slow motion as well. And it, that, that's what it looks like. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Uh, so the doctor is going to investigate the trash room because that's where the cane with the spleen is. Yeah, he needs and, a sample to look at. Yeah, since, you know, he hasn't found one yet. And Unreal that he hasn't. Like, they're finding other people. Oh, yeah. All over the place. Well, you know, the, the spleens know when to hide. Somehow. But they do. Yes, the doctor gets attacked by the maintenance man. Here's where I started thinking that maybe the doctor has been possessed the whole time. Because after fighting off the maintenance man, he fucking kills him with a crowbar. Yeah, it's a, definitely an overreaction. But I, I guess he does not realize that they're controlling minds yet. Maybe he just thought this guy was fucking deranged. Maybe. But, like, after knocking him out, uh, and, like, when he's down and not moving, he bashes him several more times, like... This isn't self-defense. Yeah, no, he's not heroic, but it does also seem like maybe he's fucking broken. That could be. Yeah, that could be. I mean, he seems to be the only he seems to be the only one trying to investigate this or the only one who can. uh, Because the maintenance guy, we actually saw him earlier cutting phone lines. Right. Because like I wonder, like I wonder if there is a possibility that he could have become infected with it through his auspices as the doctor but like it's it's supposed to come from sexual touching but that seems to be a pretty broad definition in this uh film it seems to spread quite easily yeah yeah 
yeah, I'm just a little confused because I thought he might be infected, but the way he acts, he doesn't act like he's infected and he's still acting like he's against the parasite here. And right. Maybe he just didn't like this one maintenance guy. Yeah, it is weird. Like, it does seem like an insane overreaction, but it, it, it seems inconsistent with him being uh, being controlled by the parasites, at least in terms yeah. of all his other actions at this time. Yeah. Also, yeah. if he was controlled by the parasite, I think he'd be into whatever the maintenance man was doing. Yeah, he he would be with him. He's like, oh, yeah, let's let's raid some fucking apartments. Yeah. As they're doing later, they're like roving gangs, <laughs> orgy gangs. Yeah. So uh, after seeing the spleen monster crawl out of Vic's mouth, Janine runs to her lesbian wine friend. Who's got like just this awesome look? He's, her back is facing the camera, and it's all dark, and she's like kind of half lit up in silhouette. And mm-hmm. here's where I'm thinking she'd be perfect with a vampire dress, but she's just got her bathrobe on. It's like, well, like again, Barbara Steele, that really classic face, the classic profile, and her big thing, like I said, is like the big Italian Gothic horror. So silhouettes, her in like crisp black and white with. A, a halo of light around her is the classic Barbara Steele look. Mm. Well, th- well, this is that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she's telling her everything that's going on, and uh, Barbara Steele's like, oh, wow, that's terrible. Um, Make love to me, Janine. Make <laughs> love to me. Love to me. And at this point, Janine's like, just kind of gives in a little bit. She's like, resists, but not really. It's like, ah, uh, I, I mean, how am I going to get away from it in this place? Yeah, I mean, then I could be making out with Barbara Steele right now. Let's just do it. Yeah, it's like, ah, uh, there are worth, worse ways to go. <laughs> yeah. So the elevator with the mom and the kid and the room service guy finally gets to the bottom floor. And now the girl, the little girl's got the gross spleen pie. <laughs> And they attack the security guy. So now yeah, he's they, they get to the bottom floor. We actually see this part probably grosses me out the most because we actually see the little girl making out with the security guy for like half a second. Yeah, like you, you see her go go to kiss him. Yeah, and I was like, ooh. I mean, yeah. I mean, they, props they... to you for showing it, like having the the guts to show it, but I didn't want to see it. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I, he, he hints at that it is a complete Bacchanal. Uh, I, I think just enough. Like, it's yeah. there, and, and you see it happening, and it's like, wow, it, it really is all out. But he doesn't overshow it. Like, he doesn't sensationalize it. No. He has um, just a, that shot and then the shot with them on the leash later that are so precise and insane both of them they're they're kind of perfect in encompassing what he needs them to yeah a lesser director would have made would have like lingered on the little girl making out with the dude and yeah glad that didn't happen here yeah he shows like you know where this is happening like we're we're gonna move on to something else but like things are messed up (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh now the nurse lady is in the parkade uh trying to find the doctor guy it's quite a lot like demons too where they're just inundated by demons in the parking garage yeah this is like there's a part of this that i found actually really funny she 
she finds the dead maintenance guy and then she just sees all these different rapes happening in the parking lot like at least two others uh before the security guy goes to rape her right it's just like happening all over the place it's like it is an epidemic right now yeah so the doctor finds her in the parking lot being raped by security guy and he takes out the dude's gun and, and Here's another thing where I kind of question the doctor. Uh, he shoots the security guy while he's on top of her. Yeah, it it, it very easily could have gone through him to her. Yeah, um, it didn't at all. But whew, uh, you're playing with fire there, buddy. He also just seems to be real loose cannon with violence. Oh, yeah. like He's now killed more people than the parasite and the same amount of people as the evil doctor. Well, I, I do wonder if there is sort of a, a commentary in that because like he is this force of violence and they are a force of sex. And like, ultimately we're supposed to understand that uh, it is destructive, but they at the end, while, while it is uh, strange and kind of, troubling to us in various ways at the end the virus isn't kill it's not even a virus the 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 spleens aren't killing people they're all teamed up at the end everyone's pretty happy they've got like a mission and purpose oh yeah it's almost a happy ending kind of i mean it's a happy ending for the spleen monsters (laughs) yeah yeah but uh yeah the spleens their goal isn't death They're, they're not here to kill their goal is propagation. And and I guess the question is what we don't know at the end is how much how much authority they personally have, like how much individuality remains of people. Oh, like like how much of their actions is their leftover personality and how much of it is the spleen? Yeah, like how much choice remains to them? Do do they still remain themselves to a certain extent? I don't know. It's it's totally it's unclear, unclear because clear. They're they're operating like re- real people. They're paired up yeah. and they're like driving cars and stuff. Yeah, the nurse even gets to go on a monologue while she's possessed. Yeah. Um, but what I like uh, in this parking lot scene is when the doctor fires the gun, we see like three different rapists like get up and scatter. <laughs> it's just <laughs> everywhere. Yep. Uh, we get a brief... Uh, brief car crash while the doctor tries to uh, crash through the parking garage doors. That doesn't work because they get T-boned by a spleen rapist in a car, I guess. Mm -hmm. We see the building manager lure a, I'm not sure if this is the new couple from the beginning or if this is a different couple altogether, but he lures them into a horny horde office. Right. I think one of the dudes here is the guy who was leading the like who is introducing them or like showing the couple around. I think that's the main guy here. Yeah. So this is kind of a nice fake out because uh, here I'm thinking that the building manager is going to be the victim and that the couple are going to get him. Hmm. Uh, but he leads them into an office of horny parasite people where they all swarm on the couple. And I was right. like, oh, the building manager got got. Oh, Janine is making out with the wine lady and she's she's got the bulge in her neck now. So she's got. Yeah, it's it's like transitioned by mouth uh, through them. Mm-hmm. Or one way that that's one way it can go. 
Yeah, well, it has here, like, because we, we see has, them yes. kissing and we see it transition uh, yeah. mouth to mouth. So even just kissing will do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Goldblum finally arrives to uh, Nick's apartment because because he was going to examine Nick uh, with Dr. Roger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, Roger's been doing all this other shit and hasn't really been updating uh, Goldblum. So he finds Nick uh, lying on the bed with tons of spleens coming out of his guts. Yeah, they're they're just like pouring out of him now. They're done with Nick, I guess. Like, is Nick dead? Is it? Is he killed? Not yet. No. Not yet. No, Nick is still very much alive uh, because one of the spleens attacks Goldblum and latches onto his face. So while he's trying to bash it off with some pliers, Nick gets up and attacks him. Right. Because I'm still trying to think, like, is there anyone who is actually killed by the the things? Like, there's that old lady who's burned by it, but she I don't... doesn't die. She yeah. just gets got. Yeah. So back in the parking garage, the nurse is telling Doctor Roger about this dream she had. Oh, I was having, I was having sex with an old man, and he was very old and gross, and I didn't like it. But he told me that everything is sexual, that old flesh is sexual, that breathing is sexual, and a virus is just two alien creatures finding out how to love each other. Ugh. That is a gross... so that's well, that suggests to me that she is infected because it seems like it is the spleen philosophy. Like that sounds like the philosophy of the virus. Oh, she's absolutely infected here. Yeah. I figure she got infected when. Uh, she got raped by that guy right. uh, that she stabbed with a fork. But it's interesting because it suggests that the virus has a philosophy about itself. Yeah, or... Or that or, it has enough of a synthesis with people that it is able to... Uh, it, it, they're able to recognize it. Yeah, they're able... Uh, I, I think it, like, triggers something in them that makes them do the mental gymnastics to justify its existence. Yeah. Uh, Or maybe it just gives you really freaking sweet, horny dreams. I mean, it like, it it does seem to work together with people in in a very strange way. It is like, even though it is this invasive organism and we know that that's sort of how it was built is to replace failing organs. It, even though it makes people like very sexually active again, that's sort of the place they live in. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's just kind of uh, exerting a function overly much, you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, just it, it, it is very strange how it, it seems to work with people. Like it, it doesn't seem to be a parasitic necessarily. It, it is still symbiotic. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's more accurate to call it a symbiote than a parasite. Because mm-hmm. a parasite. Like will... venom. Yeah, because Parasite will just eat you until you don't have anything left, and then it will go on to the next one. Yeah. But, yeah, no, this seems to want to meld with the human to form, like, a new super sexy human. <laughs> cool. It, yeah. It's, it's going to create the Cinderella 2000 future. Uh, maybe not that future. I don't, <laughs> want, I don't know about that one. Something but, like that. There's worse futures. Oh, yeah, no, definitely not that one. That's the one that, like, yeah, they're weird. Yeah, that's the sex is is illegal future. Except they also have, like, orgasm machines. I don't know. That movie's confusing. (laughs) Well, maybe because she's been hospitalized because of the hornies, 
her spleen isn't getting enough sex and it's you know it's uh, having a reaction with the body maybe i don't know i mean cinderella 2000 also a movie that came out after this <laughs> <laughs> and we know al adamson loves stealing ideas and shit I feel like he probably did not see this obscure independent Canadian body horror film. Uh, it took a know, couple of years for uh, Cronenberg to get some fame. You know, you're probably right. I agree with you. <laughs> so this might be my favorite part of the movie. After the nurse is done talking about her dream, she opens her mouth and the parasite tongue comes up and the doctor just freaking slaps her. Yeah. I <laughs> just slaps her unconscious. It's it's the best move he could have made. I, I kind of admire it. It's it's the the actual good hero movie. You know, he's not beating her to death like he did the, the fucking other couple people he's encountered. Yeah. He's like, hey, knock that off. What the hell? So he's carrying her unconscious body through the storage lockers. And I don't know how these people got inside the storage lockers, but they're here to do a zombie apocalypse scene where they reach their hand through the wooden boards. Hell yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was thinking that when I was watching it, too. I was like, why are they in all the storage lockers? What are they doing in there? <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense, but whatever. You get your zombie apocalypse <laughs> uh, grabbing through the board scene, so whatever. It's all maybe, good. Maybe they were having an orgy in there or something. I don't know. I got my sex toys uh, in storage. Let's go get them. Why would you have your sex toys in storage in a swinger apartment building? I don't know jeez these people are not maybe so again to the idea that it's replacing an organ that is uh underperforming maybe they're <laughs> like <laughs> uh i don't need to elucidate on the thought you know where i'm going with it <laughs> well maybe it's their extra sex toys that are in storage because you need be, more now be. yeah that that is another thing i was thinking could be could be uh, but So they escape the storage locker, or the storage area, and go to Nick's apartment. Oh, actually, yeah, okay, so Nick has killed Goldblum. Right. So uh, this is, I think, the only example of parasite people killing anyone. Right, although maybe that is more Nick than it is the parasites. I feel like it is, because Nick is on Team Parasite, and Goldblum was trying to kill one. Nick's just fucking weird. He's got a weird energy. He's unsettling. Yeah. So, you know, Dr. Roger does what Dr. Roger does, and he shoots Nick and kills him. Boom. Right in the head, I believe. Yes. And then he's going down the stairs, and he opens the door, and there's these two people on leashes. Uh, I think the little two kids. girl. And, yeah. Yeah, two, two children on leashes. Uh, a very quick shot. Very brief. But again, yeah, it's like, wow, the Bacchanalia has just gone really out of control. This, yeah. to me, is is an analog to the uh, fursuit blowjob in The Shining. For <laughs> 100%. I always think of the two together as just this one moment of something really strange and perverse just glimpsed around the corner of already a very strange horror movie. And he basically does the Grandpa Simpson thing where he turns, he just turns around and yeah. goes right out the door that he came. Oh, Wouldn't to you? See here. <laughs> he was like, yes. well, <laughs> or or like uh, when Homer comes back from something or other, uh, I, I can't even remember what it is. It's something to do with Maggie. And he's like, well, I'm getting out of here. Oh, when Maggie's been 
made over by the girls at the slumber party. Right. It's like, that's enough of this. I'm going to Moe's. <laughs> <laughs> that's our, that's Roger. Like, okay, I'm going to Moe's. This is stupid. Yep. So he gets chased by a gay couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, so now we're, we're finally at the climax. He gets to the swimming pool. <laughs> and everybody's there. It's a pool party, pool orgy. It's a freaking pool party. Yes. Uh, he gets <laughs> everybody like comes up from over the hill. Uh, we see the room service guy, everybody we've seen so far. Uh, and they just push him into the pool. Oh, mischief. Betts is already in there. I think Janine, too. Janine is in there. Uh, the nurse is in there. Uh, she kisses him, so he is got now. Yeah, if he wasn't already. I kind of feel yeah. like maybe he had a low-level dose of it from doctoring. He could. Um, if it can spread by a kiss. If it can spread by a kiss, it can spread by... Man, I feel like this can spread by anything. It's like those little catfish things from that river, the terrible ones that get into any hole. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like it's like that. Yeah. Yeah, and he gets got, and then the next scene we see is... Uh, the end uh the garage doors open and all these cars are coming out one by one each of them's got everybody's gone into their designated couples we see the doctor and the nurse uh we see janine and bets we see the room service guy and the mother and the kid <laughs> yeah there's just everybody is paired up and they're all driving out single file in their vehicles to go spread their message. And yeah, and to spread their message of uh, peace, love, and spleen parasites. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we hear over the radio that shocking uh, rampage of sexual violence originating from the Starliner thing has been spreading rapidly through Montreal. Police are denying that anything's actually happening, and they're just saying that everyone's <laughs> hysterical. Yeah, of course. Uh, I, I find that to be a really interesting constant in any movies that I've seen made in Montreal from the 70s and early 80s is they're all really critical of the police. People must have been very anti-police in Montreal in that era. There must have been some real friction going down. I'm not up on my uh, Montreal history, but that would not surprise me. Well, right. It's Montreal. It is Quebec. This is like post-Trudeau era. So, yeah, I mean, I guess there's some tension there. Mm-hmm. Post-original Trudeau. For, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're still here. waiting to get into the other post-Trudeau era. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that's that's the end of this movie. It rules. It's uh, creepy. Very. It's, yeah, it's really good. Like, it, it feels like it's going to be a low-budget Canadian horror film, and then suddenly, whoa, gross body horror. And and the the spleens are so the, – the way they move is amazing. Like, it, it's gross and realistic in a very strange way because it's so simple and so gross. It's one of my favorite, like, small monsters in a movie. Hmm. It's very effective. It, it's similar to Night of the Creeps, but I feel kind of more – basic and elemental Mm, yeah just something just so viscerally wrong about seeing these things move around so versus scanners which of the two do you prefer do you think um i think i like the cast of characters in this one more yeah Um, i like this one is my preference in a weird way i kind of love this the most out of his 
early career because it's just so singular and intensely gross. Yeah, but also like kind of optimistic in that it's not like they don't all die and they just get to have a lot of sex and maybe it's okay. It's very weird. Like it's got just a strange resonance to it. It's about the like it, it is commenting on the whole sex and love revolution and the weird sort of malaise of free love 70s where you know you got the key parties and stuff where it's all like i mean i guess everyone's having sex are we still happy about it i don't even know (laughs) this movie is sort of about that strange place and then it feels like oh yeah and then aids was just around the corner and it feels like it's predicting it almost yeah see this movie feels like it's about like it's a commentary on something. I'd be hard pressed to figure out what Scanners is a commentary on. Maybe it is, <laughs> I, but I can't think of it. Yeah, I mean, Scanners just has a whole lot of stuff about mental illness and the way the government treats mentally oh. ill, and and as well, it's just all about government programs and with the mentally ill or strange paranormal government programs. Mm, okay, uh, uh, I I do think I prefer this one though. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I like Scanners is obviously the much more famous film, and there's nothing in this quite as iconic as that one head explode. But yeah, I love this thing. It's so crazy, it's so demented. Yeah, oh, uh, I love the little monsters. I I hate the little monsters, <laughs> but I love them. They're so good. Agreed, agreed. All right, well, any last thoughts before we move on to part three? Even moving on to part three of the podcast is sexual. Oh my god. Mm. And we are back for part three, where we're talking about other movies we've watched in the past week, deciding what to watch next week. Uh, And since we're into the proper spooky season, uh, we got together and watched five movies in a thon this weekend. Did we ever? Oh, man, there's some uh, there's some all timers on this list. So, uh, uh, oh, we'll we'll go down the list to start off. We'll, I'll get your thoughts on all these. These are all movies that I, of course, have seen previously, uh, uh, but I think all were new to you, correct? They were. So first up, we had The Birds, classic Alfred Hitchcock, Animal Attack, uh, the original Animal Attack film. Yeah, this is the movie that Birdemic was desperately trying to make and failed at at every turn. Uh, I loved this movie. Uh, I will say that of the th- the uh, few Hitchcock movies I've seen, he's three for three for bangers. All bangers, yeah. Uh, there, there's a reason Hitchcock was called the master. Uh, he did uh, just a, a ton of great movies. Uh, there's some stinkers. And, but, you know, you have to dig for them. Yeah, I mean, when you do as much as he's done, they can't all be winners. He spanned such a long period of filmmaking. Like, he's there from silent era to the slasher era. Oh, wow. Love seeing uh, poor Tippy Hedren getting uh, attacked by animals, the poor, poor <laughs> lady. Yeah, as, as would happen to her again in reality, uh, in quasi-fictionalized reality in Roar. Uh, that's... Incredible film. Really, uh, really good. We should do that one of these times. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great movie. Uh, for, for anyone not aware of it, Roar is a quasi-documentary. Like, it's it's not supposed to be documentary, but you, it, it is kind of just them with a bunch of real live tigers and uh, leopards and stuff. Just a whole bunch of them, and they are untrained and they are loose. 
they're writing they basically wrote the movie's plot around what the tigers and lions and stuff did yeah which is mostly like try to eat people uh so yeah it's it's a wild ride uh, and it's tippy hedron and she broke her leg when uh a, an elephant picked her up in this movie yeah so yeah she has a history with animals and this is her whole like she she comes to town and and she's like trying to be the original manic pixie dream girl way back in the 60s and birds are like we're not doing that yet <laughs> <laughs> don't be the manic pixie dream girl you gotta wait a few years let the 90s do it you people in the 60s can't have that also don't be a lesbian school or well she bisexual school teacher or you'll die from birds yeah she's my favorite character she's great and i think uh, is uh, that Anne. another Anne? That is another Anne. Huh. So next up we had Body Melt, the great Australian melt movie. I thought, so the only other uh, movie in the melt subgenre of horror that I had seen is Street Trash. Hell yeah. Which had me thinking that, because Street Trash is trash. <laughs> I like Street <laughs> Trash, but oh, yeah, it's problematic. Yeah. It, it had me thinking that the whole thing genre would be like just trash really gruesome and really nasty grimy stuff this is that but it's like it's high energy (laughs) yeah it's high energy uh they had a budget there's uh there's a lot going on in this it's not street trash felt like hobo hobo exploitation this doesn't feel like any exploitation it's ozploitation i I guess yeah well (laughs) the, the family Oh, for yeah. sure. Well, though they're like straight out of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Even though they're out back, they are completely just the family, the Sawyers. <laughs> and the one guy is basically pretty fly for a white guy. Oh, yeah. The the two uh, Italian Australians who are uh, out to get their windshield <laughs> replaced on the way to get fleeced by the health farm anyways. So, I mean, they, they were in for it. Uh, yeah. The, the rollerblading kid who just smashes his face instead of oh yeah he doesn't even get got by the melting thing he just fucking wipes out on the ramp i mean and all of the crazy melting stuff like this one is extremely over the top there is the thing with the the pregnant lady where ooh, it gets gross yeah there's and there's that one bodybuilder guy whose penis explodes (laughs) it it just does so much a real high energy thing yeah (laughs) lots of fun lots of fun uh next up we watched ham on rye my personal favorite of the day what was that (laughs) it's it's weird because it's hard to say for sure that it's horror but it has the tone of horror there's it's undeniable that there's elements of horror um it's like dazed and confused and like day of the prom movie it's this whole coming of age thing except they just go to the local establishment and, you know, they do, they do the, the thing. thing. Yeah, the, the it, big event. The, the music has the song about them doing the thing. It's the most important night of your life. If you fuck up this night, you're done. It's your but life. It's, a, it's weird because it's never entirely clear to anyone that it's that ominous. It's just the couple people who screw it up, we see their path go on where just everybody else's i don't know <laughs> it they they 
they transcend they move elsewhere yeah <laughs> uh it, um, yeah it's a hell of a thing like it's a surrealist horror film but it's almost also a surrealist teen comedy film <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, it's uh i'll I'll be digesting this one for a while still yeah i i totally love it this is my second watch of it and uh both times it's been extremely satisfying uh as you were saying when we were watching it it feels like something written by an ai yeah it feels like an ai experience it's very uncanny Mm -hmm. like the, the conversations they have don't really makes sense they never fully add up even though you sort of see where they're coming from i really like those dudes who are walking around having their socratic discussion about sex and its importance (laughs) (laughs) yeah like i can't remember the line he ends it with but you're saying sex is so important that blah 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 blah, and it's just like yeah yes Yes. like Fair point. Uh, something like that. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely love it. It's it's incredible. Uh, then later, those same kids have the swag off with like the rival kids. <laughs> and then some of them just like end crawling up a wall. That's so funny. <laughs> uh, uh, biblically accurate angels. Biblically accurate angel, too. Yeah. Uh, the next one we watched was A Perfect Getaway. I, I don't know if this is a horror or not, but it is a lot of fun. Yeah, it's kind of a serial killer movie, I feel. Like, it's it's a multi-serial killer thing where, uh, I mean, ultimately, it's the, there's a, the, the serial killer couple, and it's a guessing game to which of the several couples in the movie it is, and everyone's potentially the, the people. Yeah, um, still manages to make the actual reveal pretty surprising. Yeah, I think it's pulled off really well. I think uh, the, the bit where... Uh, they run into the paramedic guys and, and he's like, OK, I mean, your story about her being on drugs is one thing. But I'm an EMT and her eyes are totally normal and your irises are the size of olives. <laughs> <laughs> and like zooms in on his face and he just like looks completely insane. <laughs> oh, yep. So good. And amazing vistas, you know. Hawaii. Oh, my God. So beautiful. Uh, probably my favorite ever Mila Jovovich performance. Although I don't know, that's uh, that's such a high bar. But you know, she's I like good. it. She, yeah, she's she's all right in this. She's good as the cold killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, under like hidden under the surface. Uh, and then the last one we watched was Love and Saucers. Ah, <laughs> uh, this this was fun. This was a nice document, like a, a kind of a silly documentary to come down on. Yeah, uh, David Huggins, uh, who, I, I, abductee, uh, lover of aliens. <laughs> yeah, he, Crescent. he had romantic uh, interludes with the alien. Uh, many of them, for oh, yeah. years and years, and he has so many paintings about it, and they're they're wonderful. And I could have spent, like, twice the time with the paintings and negative 100% of the time with all of the other people than David Huggins. I'm his roommate, and, you know, I see aliens, too. Maybe not as many aliens as him, but, you know, enough aliens that I could be second place in the alien scene uh, in the documentary. His best buddy guy. I I just didn't want to, like, it's like, please, dude. I It's Huggins I want to see. He's so lovable. Uh, yeah, my favorite part 
should have been like the whole second half of the movie is when he's got the uh, the art gallery going and people are mm. asking him questions about the different paintings and he's That's answering funny. them. Yeah. Like I wanted more to, of that. I wanted an hour of that. Uh, uh, the other one, the other thing I wanted more of uh, him introducing his VHS collection. I could have done with mm. a full 25 minutes of that. Yeah. Just, just more of him. Yeah. He's, more of him. He's so lovable. Yeah. Like, like I get why you want to talk to the son and the, yeah. Uh, tried to talk to the wife, but she didn't want any part right. of it. And it's fine to like briefly get them, but I'm so much more interested in him. I, I wanted a lot more of him and a lot less of, uh, especially just that buddy of his. <laughs> uh, you don't need to hear from his boss at the cannery or whatever. Or the dude he buys pastrami from, although I liked him best out of that bunch. Yeah, but you didn't, didn't need that. You just need him talking about... Yeah. Talking Crescent. about his experiences and answering questions about, you know, just him. I want to hear his story more. All that time he spent with Crescent. Yeah. Yeah. The times. Uh, and his paintings are amazing. I, w- I would love one. They're incredible. They're so the cool. The giant, giant woman painting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, and Mantis dude who's in the background just watching all the sex <laughs> in every painting. He just likes to watch. That's his thing. Yep. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yeah, it, it was it was a good day spent. We uh, got through a whole bunch of interesting stuff. It was a whole bunch of different tones, uh, which is reflective of the week at large, where we have 16 examples to pick from. Oh my god! <laughs> that I watched in addition to the other six we've uh, we've already talked about. Uh, I, I was busy. I'm I'm trying to do. 93 for 31 thing this month i don't know if i'll do it but we'll, we're, wow. we're on target so far <laughs> i'll just watch my two <laughs> well you, i mean hey you you've well, I, five I, already no. this week check it out seven that's right seven 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 it's it's like inside itself right it's inception in so uh, I, I keep thinking of Nolan films when I'm talking about Fincher. Ah, oh, jeez. So first up, we have Friday the 13th, part two. So this is the one where Jason, the first one where Jason does the killing. Correct. Uh, the, the first, uh, the, the introduction of Jason, basically, because he's just like a little green boy who pops up out of the water at the end. <laughs> All right. <laughs> It was pretty interesting to watch it just on its own because I've literally never just watched this one uh, absent of having watched the first one pretty much right before it or uh, the third one pretty much right after it. Like I rarely do two in isolation. It's pretty much one through four as a block. Oh, and how was it uh, isolated from the rest of them? I feel like it maybe worked a little bit better. It, It kind of works best as a standalone movie because it's almost completely a halloween clone <laughs> oh, okay like it, it's the one with the very absurd premise that it's a training camp for uh camp counselors that for whatever reason is held on the site of a camp counselor massacre uh <laughs> hmm. uh and yeah so they uh they, you know they get massacred again by jason because now it's jason instead of jason's mom when you're training, let the ghosts of the dead counselors here remind you what will happen to you if you fail as a camp counselor. 
I mean, you you should pay attention. And, and like they do a whole introduction of it. Uh, also, this is the one that has uh, very famously the wheelchair guy uh, who gets a machete in the head and goes down a flight of stairs, which is easily the best death in the movie. Oh, wow. <laughs> Next up, we've got Insect, uh, which I think appears in the list under its, for some reason, better known title, Blue Monkey. Yes. Insect and Blue Monkey. So Blue Monkey has very little to do with the actual title, uh, but it's a giant rubber insect monster. <laughs> it's, oh. it's in a hotel or a, a, sorry, a hospital It's a Canadian movie. Uh, there's a couple people from SCTV in it as gag characters, which is wild. All right. Uh, it's it's mid 80s. You got Steve Rails back uh, and he's battling just this giant rubber insect monster that's menacing a hospital it's very retro in style except like with modern gore and like pretty good effects and stuff cool uh next up is dream stalker which uh it is a freddy knockoff but like no fi yeah this is a shot on video freddy knockoff oh, okay so the big twist is he comes to her in his dreams but he's a rad motocross guy. <laughs> <laughs> Watch she, me do these sick 360, bitch. <laughs> she, uh, she's an aspiring fashion model, and uh, her boyfriend was this motocross, di- motocross dude who, while she was away in New York on an important fashion shoot, uh, dies in a motocross explosion and burns up. And then, like, he just comes after her and slashes people (laughs) okay uh it's weird because it's just like he becomes this strange toxic abusive boyfriend except he's a zombie motocross rider Hmm. (laughs) uh there's a part where she like just takes off and goes to a retreat in the cab like a retreat cabin in the woods except there's a, a a camp for troubled teens next door now okay and they're all having an electro dance party outside her window. And the most dangerous thing she could possibly do, she actually goes down amongst dancing teenagers and turns their music off. I mean, she's looking to get shanked. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I would have uh, made the record scratch noise if I had any way to make <laughs> noises. Yeah. Uh, weird. Like, very silly. Uh, trash SOV, but uh, one of the more fun ones I've watched recently. Okay. Next up, Trauma. I sent you a clip from this one, which is pretty notable. It had Brad Dourif in it. I don't know if you remember it, uh, him uh, with his head in an elevator shaft. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, Brad Dourif has a very short appearance in this movie where uh, someone sticks something in his throat and paralyzes him, puts his head on the edge of an, an open elevator shaft, and his head is uh, decapitated by... Uh, the uh, descending elevator, and then it hilariously just flashes to his face a couple times as if uh, we're supposed <laughs> to be seeing it go down. The effects are up and down. Like, the gore is good, and then the tumbling looks ridiculous. <laughs> nice. Uh, it's completely demented. It's a, a killer known as the Headhunter. They're going around decapitating a bunch of people. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> It has a very insane reveal twist slash beheading flashback that 
uh, kind of blew my mind, honestly. <laughs> I was like, wow, I can't believe they did this. I mean, it's Dario Argento, who, uh, you know, Suspiria is his best known. And, you know, he, he's known for Grand Guignol gore. Oh, he did Demons and Demons 2, didn't he? No, uh, that's... Uh, he produced those. Oh. He, uh, I, I think they were directed by Lamberto Bava. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, Suspiria is his big one, and he he kind of went he declined into the '90s. This is a an early '90s one. It's a little weird. It's pretty campy, but yeah, it's fun. Uh, okay, heady cool. goodness. <laughs> right on. <laughs> Next up is Dead Space. Uh, nothing to do with the uh, video game franchise, as far as I know. Probably not. So it's like it's a sci-fi horror. It's it's a late, like early '90s, but like really late for the era. It is an alien knockoff, where you know uh, there's there's a big alien monster on the craft. Okay. It's got Brian Cranston in it. Very young Brian Cranston. Oh, you sent me clips of this. <laughs> I sent you a couple of clips of this. I sent you a clips of a bunch of the weird stuff this week because there's so much silly shit. It's it's Mark Singer. Who's the Beastmaster, best known for playing the Beastmaster? Uh, he is basically playing Han Solo. It's it's like okay. if Han Solo was in Alien. <laughs> uh, Cranston is the scientist, and he is infected with the super virus, uh, so he gets really poisonous, and they put his they they just stuff his head into the monster's mouth, and that's how they do it. <laughs> sure, I'll take yeah. it. It's a hell of a thing. Uh, next up is Death by Love. This is another shot on video horror. Uh, okay. A lot of a lot of endless softcore sex scenes that are terrible. Uh, <laughs> there, there is this suburban vampire. He's basically a vampire. Like he gloms onto women's necks and sucks on them, leaves a big red mark, even though he doesn't have vampire teeth or do vampire stuff otherwise. Okay. And there's like this peeper who's like really muscly and he's dressed like Rambo and he's like wandering in backyards and he keeps seeing the vampire monster. So I guess he's kind of positioned as the hero. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Uh, and there are some cops on the case. They don't really seem to know what they're doing. Everyone's just kind of around while these things are happening. And then they happen and they don't do anything and nobody really uh, <laughs> figures it out. And then at the end, literally, someone just goes, I'm glad that's over. And then it cuts <laughs> to two women playing squash and the end credits roll. <laughs> So, so this vampire thing just happens until it stops. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think he gets killed. I was, I mean, it, it's I was so numb by the end of it, quite honestly. I thought you were gonna say I think he gets bored of not getting caught. <laughs> it could have been that. Detective. Yeah. Next up is Crypt of Dark Secrets. Uh, so this is a, a Louisiana indie horror film from the mid 70s. So there's this this guy who's a veteran of both the Korean War and the Vietnam War. Ooh. And and he's gone to live on this haunted island uh, that just like everybody else who's tried to live there has been chased off by the voodoo goddess 
who transforms into a snake and kind of rules the place. Okay. Whatever reason, she's cool with him. All right. Uh, so she's watching over him basically, but not really like protecting him because these guys know that he has a bunch of money stashed wherever in the cabin. And uh, at first they show up and she scares them off. But then like the next time they show up, he j- they just murder this dude. Hmm. Uh, so she does a whole sex ritual with his body and he comes back to life and, you know, they, they go for vengeance, obviously. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't need vengeance if you, uh, but yeah, if I mean, you right? stepped in. <laughs> well, this is more fun. I mean, I, I was planning to do it anyway. It just, it, it opened a window. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, very lurid, but you know, it's fun. All right. Next up, deep blood. Uh, speaking of late period knockoffs, this is a 1990 Jaws ripoff. Oh, is there a shark movie that isn't a Jaws ripoff? Very few. I mean, it's it's kind of the template. I guess Sharknado. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of different. Oh, although some of them have certainly references to it. This one's kind of weird because it's not just Jaws, but it feels like a vague memory of everything Spielberg and just the whole eighties boys adventure genre. Oh, cause it's like at the beginning, it's these four young boys having this mystical summer and this, uh, native American oh, <laughs> is no. their, their spirit guide. Uh, oh, and no. they, they do this sacred blood ceremony and they bury a bunch of knives on the beach where obviously they would be, easily refound again like because they're just below the surface on a popular party beach you know anyway, oh god okay anyway cut to 10 or 15 years later and they're teenagers and one of them is eaten by a shark <laughs> so based on the blood oath that they swore as children the other three have to avenge his death uh and note that there is no shark uh, footage in this movie that is not borrowed from other movies or nature documentaries. Uh, also, there like there's no fake shark. There's nothing. It's just <laughs> it's just let's let's just uh, splice in the public domain sharks as best we can. Yeah, uh, and they blow it up with dynamite. <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, I love a shark movie. What can I say? (laughs) Even when it's really bad and it is. Oh, I can't wait for that Tommy Wiseau shark movie. Oh, it's going to be great. Even if it's really bad, it's going to be great. Maybe especially Especially if it's really bad. (laughs) Next up, we've got Blood Rage. Uh, this is a Thanksgiving horror movie because it was Thanksgiving or I guess it's not Thanksgiving anymore, right? Indigenous People's Day? Uh, is it? I think maybe officially in Canada it is now Indigenous Peoples Day. I, I think that was officially Monday. I don't know. Any Americans are listening are confused as fuck. <laughs> I said Canada. They have their Thanksgiving in November. It's uh, thanks. Yeah. Anyway, this is an American Thanksgiving movie, but it, since it was Thanksgiving here at this weekend, uh, I did watch Blood Rage, which uh, is pretty fun. It's very silly. Uh, okay. it's, so it's this, as children, you have this, these twin brothers and one of them is psychotic and 
he's just kind of waiting for the right opportunity and they're at a drive-in theater and their mom is making out with her new boyfriend and the crazy brother fucking stabs a dude to death and then puts the knife in the other brother's hand and smears some blood on him and blames him for it okay so then we cut to like 15 years later when they're uh, young adults and he's been in an institution all his life and he busts out for Thanksgiving. So, you know, it's, it's a, <laughs> it is a direct riff on Halloween, but as a Thanksgiving oh, wow. movie uh, and they're twin brothers. So like he's come back to not not to come after anyone, but like to prove his innocence. But since the other brother knows that he's broken out, he resumes his killing spree just among the people in his apartment complex. OK. Uh, has an incredible banging horror synth score. One of my favorites. Uh, it's by a guy called Richard Einhorn, who only did a couple horror synth scores. And then uh, later on, he did Voices of Light, which is a very well-regarded piece that was used for The Passion of Joan of Arc. So oh, interesting. You know, real contrast in styles, but yeah, uh, fucking bangs. Uh, I, I watch this one basically every year. It's pretty silly, but the killer has a catchphrase. Okay. Uh, it's not cranberry sauce. <laughs> and he's very pleased with himself. He says it to himself in the mirror at one point, and then he's yelling it at people later a couple times. It's great. Naughty. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was that was a good one. I love that one. Uh, uh, th- these are like those are among my favorite slashers. This one and Silent Night, Deadly Night. Top. Oh, you'd put this one on that level. Up there, maybe not quite the same level. Definitely Silent Night, Deadly Night is like the top other than Halloween. Like, obviously, Halloween is sort of unbeatable. Uh But yeah, it would be in probably my top 10. Okay, cool. Uh, Next up is Jungle Trap, which is a Renee Harmon project. I don't know. Did you see this one last year? Uh, I'm not sure. I saw I saw a Renee Harmon movie, (laughs) but I don't know if it was this one. You you definitely saw Frozen Scream. Yes, I saw that one. Okay, this one's much later. This was an 80s one, and it was a lost project that was shot on video and never finished. And then in 2016, Agfa finished it and added just an incredible modern horror synth score. Okay. Uh, It's really fun. It's basically them doing The Shining in a jungle resort hotel with just a whole bunch of elaborate stuff about native headhunters and ghosts and i don't know it's hmm. complete nullified brain stuff you know it, it, <laughs> it's it's hard to understand if you're not a renee Harmon and james bryan devotee but oh i love it i love it so much cool uh next up we've got old dracula <laughs> fucking who wow what a weird movie okay it shows up on the thing as vampira vampira so, i gotta ask is she here uh so it's vampira is the wife of dracula in okay this. uh the the thing is dracula is it's it's the mid-70s and dracula has just gone public uh his castle is a tourist attraction now and he's just like a hip public figure for whatever reason okay and there's this very weird thing where playboy magazine is running the most biteable playmate contest i guess for halloween so they've shipped a bunch of playmates to his castle 
to hang out with him for a weekend. <laughs> sure. And he's got this whole mad science set up because he's got his wife, Vampira, who's in a coffin from she had the blood of an infected peasant a fucking couple hundred years ago or some shit. And so he's been trying to revive her and find just the right blood. Okay. <laughs> it's insanely complicated, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so he takes samples of blood from all of the playmates, you know, for fun and and to also tr- test all of them to see if maybe one of them is compatible. And uh-huh. luck of luck, they do revive her, but there's a mix-up and he's not sure whose it was. And also she turns black. Okay. <laughs> so him being David Niven, a stuffy old British actor playing Count Dracula, he's very stuffy about having a black wife and it's very... <laughs> shenanigans ensue you got to find out which of the playmates and it's like well maybe if we get more we can wash it through and she'll be white again and she's just embracing being black Uh, she's like going to black exploitation movies it's (laughs) bad like insanely bad but compellingly bad (laughs) oh this sounds terrible really great disco funk score i gotta say okay uh next up death spa Big fan of Death Spa. Have you seen Death Spa? I I might have. This was also a red letter media one, I think. So you may have seen that. It does sound familiar. So so there's a strip mall uh, health spa, of course. Star body health spa. Uh, And there are people trying to run an insurance scam. So they're kind of causing accidents in the place. But it's also haunted by the ghost of the wife of the owner of the place who's jealous of him <laughs> so the owner's wife's ghost haunts the place that's also got an insurance scam yeah so it's like a mixture of these people running an insurance scam and the jealous wife's ghost inhabiting the computer system and her twin brother causing a various various degrees of you know uh accidents and paranormal events uh at one point like a uh, machine rips a guy in half of course uh there's you know uh, the sauna overheats uh, people get gassed with chlorine gas uh it, it's, it's a death spot it's it's very heightened uh extremely 80s tons and tons of neon lighting like perpetually because it's this very trendy spa uh, setup that you're pretty much always in pretty cool cast you got ken forey from dawn of the dead it's just fun i i really love this one it's silly it's goofy it's just got a lot of like everything you'd want from just a bunch of spa attacks uh, from like a haunted <laughs> spa and just the right uh locale like it's it's a perfect 80s california spa cool uh, also has an amazing end credit song called killer groove it's about a killer groove around town that's making people die. <laughs> Great. <laughs> awesome. Nice. Uh, next up, Halloween 2. Uh, yeah, what, what to say? The second Halloween film. <laughs> Michael Myers could be anywhere. Oh, no, he's over there. Yeah, I mean, th- that's sort of the thing. I was trying to do the same thing that I was doing with Friday the 13th Part 2. And I haven't watched Halloween in a bit, so I'm just watching Halloween 2 standalone. Right. And that did kind of make it a little 
easier. Uh, like it, it sort of went down easier just in that it's, it's sort of just a copy. Uh, it's, and then Michael continues killing and that's fine. You know, it, when, when I'm watching it, having not just watched how great Halloween is and this one's sort of doing similar look like it's still shot by the same guy but not directed by the same guy it's still written by the same guy still got the same score like okay. it's, there, there's a lot of it i mean laurie's sort of there donald pleasance is still there doing some fun stuff i sent you that one clip <laughs> death has come or what does he say something like uh, the the guy says uh i I think he said, oh, you, you just about scared me to death. It's like, you don't know anything about death. And then he scurries away. He scurries off. Yeah, he oh, just. So good. So good. <laughs> uh, and, and I also sent you the, the scene of Ben Tramer's death, which is just abrupt chaos. Absolutely incredible. Oh, I, I didn't get to see that one. Oh, OK. Uh, Loomis is threatening to shoot him and then the. A cop stops him from shooting him, and then a cop car hits the kid, and then <laughs> the cop car with him on the hood slams into an ambulance, and they all explode. And it's just his burning corpse oh in the God. middle of it. Rip Ben Tramer, Laurie's crush. <laughs> they identify him by his dental records. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Because <laughs> he was dressed up like Michael Myers for some reason. Oh, very strange. The same that. night. It was the very same night. He just happened to choose the same costume as Michael Myers. What a shame. Uh, <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> that's true. That's literally the thing. Uh, next up, we have a knife for the ladies. Ooh, lady knife. This one's interesting. It's kind of ahead of its time. It's a slasher film, or like a proto slasher in 1974 in the Old West. Oh. So there's just like this drunk local sheriff who just obviously is completely incapable of dealing with, you know, basically a Jack the Ripper type. <laughs> OK, it's very leisurely <laughs> uh, like it's less than 90 minutes, but it feels like it's a lot longer than that. It just <laughs> it, it really takes its time uh, for being a movie that has a guy running around slashing people at night in a Western uh, it's very sedate and not a lot happens. It's pretty quiet. Uh, there's a very crazy reveal at the end, though, that's just like, wow, I, I OK, <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, we've got I'm Dangerous Tonight. Now, this is a Toby Hooper movie guy who made Poltergeist and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. OK. It's a made for TV movie from 1990 and stars Madchen Amick from Twin Peaks. Uh, Donna. Oh, oh. Okay, yeah, I, now I see it uh, in the poster. Right. So she, uh, she's she got this crush on a, a guy who's in the theater program. He's in a production of Romeo and Juliet playing Mercutio. Okay. So she buys this antique uh, chest at a yard sale for him to use in the play. It's like, oh, you know, this would be a cool thing to kind of get myself in with him. And in the chest... There's a magic cloak. It's this cool. magic red cloak from the Aztecs. It's haunted with the spirits of Aztec dead. Oh. Uh, and it, it makes people <laughs> like really aggressive. So for her, I guess, I don't know. She she fashions it into a dress. 
she's really crafty and it's a really nice cloak. Sure. Uh, and she goes to a dance and she wins a dance off because, you know, she's normally really shy, but now she can win the boy because she has the magic dress. <laughs> and it's making her dangerous tonight. Yeah. And then her cousin borrows it and her cousin is already super extra. Oh, no. And she uh, castrates her boyfriend and steals Jeep and dies in a Jeep explosion. Uh, and then it ends up with the drug addicted coroner and like it just like starts making its way through town. <laughs> Weird movie. Sure. And last up, we have Trick or Treats. Uh, very obvious Halloween knockoff that nonetheless isn't the same genre as Halloween. <laughs> Uh, this is directed by Gary Graver, who you may remember as uh, Al Adamson's or one of Al Adamson's two main cinematographers. OK, he was the one who also worked with Orson Welles. Oh, right, right. Uh, so Orson Welles is actually credited on this movie with magic supervision. <laughs> <laughs> it's It's basically this girl on the worst babysitting gig of all time. Uh, this girl, Linda, she, she goes, it's Halloween night and she goes to take care of this kid and the mom's just acting weird as balls. And the dad is, or the stepdad is this weird drunk magician who is heavily flirting with her. And she's just like trying to get away from him. And finally, like they leave and the kid still hasn't shown up. And it turns out he's a prankster. And he just plays pranks all fucking night long. Hmm. And she is just losing her mind. And then his real dad, who the mom had institutionalized against his will, has broken out of the asylum and he shows up at home with the big knife. Okay. And so after we've had like an hour 15 of silly shenanigans where the kid does pranks, where it seems like he dies and she screams and it wasn't real and she's getting really (laughs) sick of his shit. Uh, suddenly, someone with a knife shows up and starts knifing people. It's a weird fucking movie. All right. So those are our 16 gosh darn choices this week. Oh, boy. Um. Well, you had some high words about Blood Rage, and you were right about uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, let's, let's give the Thanksgiving slasher a go. All right. Uh, Blood Rage is a real good time. Uh, so for our main pick next week, uh, what do you think? We, we've we done Seven as our second one. We've done Shadow of a Doubt and Seven as our picks so far this month. Oh, yeah. Shadow of a Doubt was from uh, Spooky Stacks as well. Essentially, basically. Kind of the preliminary. So what do we yeah. want to pair with Blood Rage, uh, uh, a.k.a. That's... Nightmare at Shadow Woods? That is a good, good question. What is this here? Oh, heck. I just clicked on something because it didn't have the title on it. And it's uh, the next Tsukamoto film, Gemini. Gemini. Uh, What is this? A successful doctor, Yukio's picture-perfect life is gradually wrecked and taken over by his avenging twin brother, who bumps off his family members one by one and reclaims his lover, who is now Yukio's wife. Holy shit. So this is one that's set, uh, th- this one's a period piece. It's set in like 1910s Japan. Uh, so uh, it, it's 
uh, a little outside of the milieu. It's not the same uh, high-rise sort of thing. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about doing that one? Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen this one before, and it is great. Uh, it's, I think, my favorite thing that's come out from the Mondo Macabro label. Oh, cool. Pretty kick-ass movie. Uh, so yeah, do you, you want to continue Sukumoto? We'll do Gemini this, uh, and then Blood Rage next week. Yeah, haven't uh, it feels like it's been at least a little while since we did some Sukumoto. It's been quite a while since we did Hiruko. Yeah, Hiruko I'm not sure how long, the last but uh, we did. a few months at least. Indeed. All right, so next week we continue the uh, horror with Gemini and Blood Rage. Uh, any last thoughts before we close for this week? I think we've about covered it all. All right. Well, thanks everyone so much for listening. And it's not cranberry sauce. <laughs>